We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The Rock Pile Report with Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are going to turn around and devour my brain. The Bills make me want Everybody to another edition of the Rock Pile Report Podcast. I'm your host, Bill season ticket holder Drew Gear. That's my producer, Chris Krueger. And we're sitting at a table tonight, roundtable discussion about the 2020 Buffalo Bills season. I have with me WGR 550's Nate Geary and WGR producer turned corporate stiff, Ryan Gates. I don't even know why I'm here anymore. <laughs> I'm honestly shocked that I was invited back. Look, no one wants to hear from me anymore. I'm a a has-been. That's right. You you may be a has-been in the hearts and minds of uh, the fickle Almost everyone, except for his parents. Mm, I'm still a has-been in Mm. front of my parents. (laughs) They moved to Alabama to get away from you. Just to get away from you. Folks, the Buffalo Bills season is over, and I can already see people are out there talking about free agency. There's a lot of hand-wringing going on about what they're going to do in the draft. I feel like we're all kind of getting ahead of ourselves here. Let's take a deep breath and enjoy what the hell we just saw. The Bills 2020 season was a masterpiece. It was a work of art. And I feel like we'd be doing it a grave disservice if we didn't take a hard look at it. And just kind of, I don't know, Chris, what would you call that? It's it's almost like before you sip a glass of whiskey, before you finish, you want to smell it. You want to let it uh, dance on your nose a little bit. I mean, Let it breathe a little. Me? I know. I do. Yeah, I I, I know about it right now. I like bourbon. I like the fact that we're both, we both have glasses of uh, bourbon. With some nice craft ice. I would and, consider it half full, half full glasses. And I'm pouring a beer because that's how I do things. A Miller, that is a, a terrible yeah, pour, but yeah, a Miller Light. Yeah, a I terrible mean, Miller Light. Have, but listen, it's the off season, sir. What what is? Yeah, you're, that's you're right, drinking Miller Light. I got a whiskey and Coke. Nate's drinking Woodford Reserve on the rocks, and then Gates is drinking a uh, High Lie. I'm drinking IPAs. <laughs> hey, I'm just drinking High IPAs. from Cigar City. Shout out to uh, Owl Mountain for turning us on to Cigar City. Gates, you're actually Nate. We love you, sure. But in this, you're kind He'll of chop. Back. You're kind of chop liver here. He'll be because back. I want to talk to Gates now. Gates, yeah. First of all, it's been a while since you've been behind a microphone. 
Yeah, at least over a year. I think the last time I was behind a microphone was probably Nate inviting me to be on WGR. And there was a reason why that was the last time. <laughs> there was definitely a reason. I lost it. I, I lost it. So, you know, it's a, it's a muscle. It's that like you riding a bike. Yeah. And, uh, you know, maybe this will get me back into it. But more than likely, I'll probably just uh, fade into the wind again. What's what's the corporate life? Uh, corporate life. Like, what what is it? How's it treating you? Um, you know, like there's, there's the good days, there's the bad days, but, uh, overall, if you are, have to compare a corporate life to a life in radio, corporate life is complete shit. Well, you know yeah. that anywhere you go, you are one of the old, your only coworkers who who's ever had an article written about them in Deadspin, right? Yeah. I mean, that's always something that. You know, it's like the college icebreaker, except in the professional world, where hey, you get to you get to say like, "Oh, hey, tell me an interesting fact about you," and you say, "I quit my job over a Bills quarterback," and then was featured on Deadspin with a tweet that had a typo in it. What do your coworkers think of your new station in life? I mean, because here's what I'm picturing. I'm picturing you as Ray Liotta at the end of Goodfellas. Mm. You're the guy who's in the tract house. You're sitting around a bunch of people with well-manicured lawns. Cool. And you're walking around everyday boring stiffs having sports co- who, who think they're having intelligent sports conversation around the water cooler. And you're thinking to yourself, God damn it, I remember when I was doing this with people who actually knew what the fuck they were talking about. I mean, <laughs> you, you definitely get some of that. Um, but you... I mean, Buffalo is a sports town, right? A lot of the people that that you will run into actually do speak about it intelligently. And I feel like most of the times the people that I end up actually communicating with and not just brushing off immediately will will have those intelligent conversations. So, I mean, it's a... no one, no one asks me about it anymore. That's really what the genius behind it all is, is that I never get asked about Buffalo sports ever. It was a, probably about a year or so where I was still asked about my opinion. But the fact of the matter is, I am just a fucking average Joe you're now. Average Joe. No one gives a shit about you're, my you're, opinion. You're an average about. Joe who's lucky if he can get a plate of uh, noodles and ketchup. You know, no more, no more front yeah. seat. <laughs> you, you really are Ray Liotta. This is amazing. And how hard is it now getting used to working a nine to five after your illustrious radio schedule that featured what afternoon drive producer? Oh yeah, uh, my uh, noon to nine or ten p.m. schedule. The nine to five, it's amazing. I really? love the nine really? to five. Really, I was not prepared for that. Uh, me either. I was because not I will tell that. you some of the things that have been introduced to me since I uh, left WGR and was able to work a nine to five. Recreational sports being number one among them. Mm. Haven't been able to do it in a while, but I was in multiple softball leagues, mm. multiple volleyball leagues. I would have never picked up recreational volleyball. But I would go down to two great establishments in the South Towns, Mickey Rats and Turtle Joe's, where I would join a volleyball league, and they would Did provide you just say two me two great establishments. Two great establishments Ooh. along the Buffalo That's waterfront. Debatable. That's debatable. Along the right Buffalo the waterfront, the and you play in a volleyball league. You pay your flat fee, and then you play your games every week, and you get five to six pitchers for your team for free. That sounds like a, this is on a Tuesday bad. night in the middle of summer. So as bad as it sounded. Experiencing the Bills 2020 season from the sidelines, yeah, not in the control room or in the studio or having any real outlet for your opinions, your angst, your sometimes outrage. I mean, it probably makes your game day a little different, right? Oh, it absolutely does. And I don't think I really thought about it too much until the Bills made it into the playoffs again. I, I really felt, you know, when they 
broke the drought and got into the playoffs after 17 years. Like it was kind of my my destiny to be where I was. Like I had t- tickets to the Aqueous concert on New Year's Eve that I left because I felt that it was my duty to be on the radio after the Bills made the playoffs when Andy Dalton completed that pass. And it felt like that's where I needed to be. So in the playoffs, I think that's when it really hit me. Like throughout the season, it was just me enjoying my game day experience like any standard Buffalo fan does, like hanging out with friends or even sometimes hanging out by myself, just watching the game by myself. That's nonsense. That's a, that, that, that's um, I, I, Instead of watching it on a 15-inch TV yes. with me yelling in the background. <laughs> well, Nate yelling in the background was, it was the 15-inch TV. From nineteen, but I'm sure I'm sure it's nothing like you during a game. Oh, I couldn't watch it alone you because know, there had to be there, there would have to be someone here, an outlet for you to yell at. There has to be me screaming into the ether alone doesn't have the impact. I almost need. I've learned this over the course of the last couple of years. I almost need to see the shock on other people's faces when I yell something outlandish about. You're there for the reaction, but, but you need if, to see the reaction. But if I don't get the reaction, it's almost like. It doesn't feel like I've satisfied that angry part of myself, mm. and so it just burns a little hotter and a little hotter. And then next thing you know, I'm walking to Good Times in Lancaster shirtless, and I like I'm halfway there already, and I realize I'm too far gone. I'm not going back. Yeah, I so I feel like you would fit in with some of my my other friends <laughs> who really are very aggressive <laughs> on game days. Like every single play, you know, it could be a three yard running play, and they're like, yes. That's, that's like it. going absolutely nuts, and I kind of am more of the person that's just kind of sitting back there and docile. just like I am very docile yeah. on game days until like the games start to truly matter, and then it like for most of the season, like my my experience this season was okay. The Bills are good. This is kind of weird. I'm not going to get real angry about it. I don't feel bad in any of these games. They keep winning. And then the playoffs came around and I was a nervous absolute mess and felt every single game was right there to to be lost every single time. And then they're celebrating the absolute highs. I always go back to this season and it'll be Teron Johnson, 101 yard (laughs) interception return for a touchdown for the greatest Bills play I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah. It'll always go back to that moment, and I will have that moment, much like I had the Andy Dalton moment, except this time, it was my team who actually completed the moment, and I'm not relying on another team to create a great moment. See, now that's a good pivot point, because he brought up earlier him listening to you yelling in the studio, Nate. Nate, now, Nate Geary, WGR 550 host, Cover1.net film analyst, self-proclaimed former quarterback and intellectual. Yeah, I saw that fucking tweet. As a former quarterback but, and intellectual. They're, they're, I wasn't right, an so, intellectual quarterback. Okay, well, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Do you are know you formerly co- an intellectual? Yes. So you're no longer... Those days are over. Okay. I was yeah. going to say, because you know that anytime anybody refers to themselves yeah. as an intellectual, that's garbage. I, I love that. Like, when you have a hierarchy of what makes a person as a little garbage... As an intellectual... That's how you like to start. That's and, how you like to start conversations. And you're also the owner of one of the worst mustaches in Buffalo. We've said it. I disagree. Off there, I, I, I talked about the fact that you look like a '70s baseball player with a drinking problem. Like that's a that's a player who back in the '70s when it was still socially acceptable probably punched a short. Does this make it like, any punched better a little when, person? when you bring out the? Oh my God! He took his hat off. Flow. He's got the flow. Does it make it any better? I almost can't look at you. So uh, my girlfriend is in in your in your camp. She agrees with you that it's terrible. Um, 
And she asked me the other day, can you just shave your mustache? And I was like, she's like, you don't have to cut your hair. I'm like, the hair is meaningless without the mustache. And the mustache is meaningless without the hair. It just, I, I, I don't it's want, want yeah, it is a package deal. I don't want the bottom flip if it can't connect with a mustache from the profile. You know, like when you look from the profile, I want it to be one solid line of hair. Like a luscious V. What I think you really need to do is, I'm not sure if this is possible for you, but you need to Shape connect the chops to the mustache. Oh, the, uh, flying, the flying Dutchman. Yes. I don't think it is. No, we need to get that. I, I have that, that like white trashed, no, indoctrinated no DNA like Joe Dirt, you know, where it no, just no like, more Seagram's bets. I don't have to shave. Ryan, this just you, you gave me a great idea. No more Seagram's bets for Nate. Now we make a bet on the Flying Dutchman. So as a broadcaster in 2020, <laughs> how much different was this from your typical Bills season? I mean, I remember the night of the AFC title game. Yeah. You were offering to work until 6 a.m. That's how yeah, no, into I did, this I did, you were. I did offer that. Offered how, it up. How much better was were this year than most of the seasons that you've been a part of? <laughs> um, it was really fun. And, and, and to answer your question, it wasn't that different other than – I you know missed hanging out with Uncle Todd and Uncle uh, Greg Harvey Wallbanger at um, at the at the Bill Stadium. They're the producers and the um, executive producers and uh, guys that kind of make the engineers that make the Bills game day kind of engine run. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> and you know I I missed. Listen, you know when you play football, there's very few like moments of like pregame jitter that you'll ever be able to replicate as an adult. You just can't replicate what it feels like to be 15 minutes before kickoff of a high school game mm-hmm. or a college game. You just can't replicate it. But the one thing that I felt like with the Bills was kind of <clears throat> and, and, and doing pregame from the stadium was walking into the stadium as people are arriving and I've got my backpack on and I'm walking into the, you know, into the stadium, getting my stuff off, you know, going through the, uh, the metal detectors and the security guards and then walking into the, you know, uh, Van Miller press club fucking, you know, bo- press box where John Murphy and Van Miller call, you know, have called NFL games. And th- the first time I did pregame in there, it was really cool. I mean, it was it was amazing. Um, so I definitely miss the aspect of walking in, hearing the band on the field that is going to be in the stands, you know, practicing. And you got the anthem singer out there practicing and you got the sound guy blasting the train horn, you know, getting <laughs> it prepped up and ready to go and greasing up the train what, horn. It just those I, are things I miss. What I love is that this year we had a few examples of with no fans in the stand. The guy who runs the train horn, give him my regards because he was real liberal this season. Real liberal. There was memes made about it. There was, um, I mean, he was really led. They're all hanging a out. banner in the Sabres arena for it. <laughs> I, I will say so. We, during the playoffs especially, we had a specialty speaker for the train horn because the, the Bills app allowed you to get your own train horn. No shit. No, so I had could, not known that. So you could hit the train horn on third downs. And then really what we realized is what the train horn is truly for. You always hear the train horn when they come back from commercial break. It's to wake up the drunks in the stadium who passed out during the TV timeout. During the TV timeout to let them know to wake it's up. For, it's literally for Chris. No. That's, so, so we have uh, season. T- we've had season tickets for 10, 10 years as a group. Chris joined it two two years ago. Yeah, and we invited back Dan Moross, one of our. Uh, he, he's one of the OGs who actually started this whole debacle. He's the one who's t- the tickets used to be in his name before I took him over, and he 
took a Snapchat or an Instagram something. Oh, yeah, put it on uh, Instagram. Because Dan was he one fell of those, asleep. the last game Dan attended. Oh, yeah. I mean, he's got three kids. So he, he yeah, I feel like after easily. the second kid, so you're allowed to easily. sleep for so two quarters of a football season. But he yeah. would have come to like one one or two games a year. And there was a game last year where third quarter, Dan, chin and chest, just bang. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the best. And then the horn goes and you're just looking around like, what? Oh, oh, yeah. Woo! It's like that, it's and like that meme. And just starts slamming a bleacher in front of you. It's like that meme from America's Got Talent. Where the kids are sleeping, he's like, "Oh yeah, yeah." Oh, yeah. So, so, yes. so let me ask you this: Does the team's success now that you've covered one of the most successful teams in our lifetime, as far as the Buffalo Bills go? I feel like teams that stink. There's this phenomenon that happens. Like we've talked to uh, you know AFC's podcast that we do, uh, Scott Mason from Play Like a Jet. He talks about how the Jets have been. This has been some of the most interesting, like. Conversationally, the Jets have been in a decade, and it's funny that they're interesting they're because they're bad. Yeah, so bad teams have more talking points, which is why the Bills were irrelevant for twenty and years. That, and so, what I was going to say is, was it more fun to break down film and talk about the Bills in this year? Hey, no question. Okay, uh, and mostly <laughs> it was because they had a quarterback that was literally doing things that you're watching, and you're like. This is unrecognizable, and especially when you're someone that, I mean, dude, I mean, I remember draft night with Gates at, across the street from the station, we, the we weren't at the Brick House, we we're weren't on until house. after the Bills picked, yep. and Murph, and they did it live, and then Ryan and I went on air after, <laughs> and we are sitting at Brick House. How did that go? We're sitting at Brick House. Oh, great. We are, we're actually starting to get tanked, we've been drinking for a while, and we're like, well, we'll just keep drinking, we'll go on the air, we'll be fine. Um, hopefully the boss isn't listening to this. Um, but we got a new boss. We are, yeah, that's right. Um, so you know, we're at the bar, and we were with somebody else too, and I can't remember who it was, but I, I remember you. It was me and you there, and we're both saying to each other. Everyone's saying Rosen, it's gonna be Rosen, like, and then everyone's like, so, and and the best part is Goodell when he announces the pick. He's like, with the whatever pick, the Buffalo Bills select Josh Allen, and everyone's like, Josh. Oh, oh, are yeah. you kidding? Everybody yes. in the whole bar was in the so mad. Bar. And I just remember me and him, me and him were so pissed going back to the station having to talk about that. But it's so funny to be the guy then watching that guy now yep. and the film that you watch of him. Oh, yeah. you watch every one week, of us gave up his job in radio yeah. for it. That's so, you know, that night, <laughs> that night for me is literally... Me going back to the station and saying, This is it. I am in the studio and I am posting things about how I'm quitting my job. I'm changing. It had no, nothing to do the, with the eight beers we had the, at the Brick House the, prior, the, by the way. The boss, the boss calls me and says, Hey, like, you still got WGR and your Twitter handle. Like, just make sure you're being, you know, prescient of what you're tweeting out there. Immediately changed my name to Quitter underscore Ryan to make sure that WGR was no longer in my profile. I posted my resume on Twitter with all of my contact information on it. And then someone tweeted at me and said, hey, listen, a little bit of advice. You're probably going to want to take your contact information off of this oh, resume yeah, so sure. that you don't get the trolls literally calling your cell phone. So I did that, and that that was my experience draft night. And then it was hopping on the radio and having people call me while I'm answering while I'm answering phone calls and saying, "Why are you at the radio station? Aren't you supposed to have quit already?" But look at this, finishing out my shift. I'm I'm doing a nice thing. And look at this, Chris. 
Me hammered in Jamaica, pantsless yelling at my wife. These guys, one of these guys quitting their jobs. And yet we all got to watch this guy deliver what was maybe the best season of Bills football in our lifetime. Easily. So with that, I want to talk about 2020 by the numbers. The Buffalo Bills broke dozens of records belonging both to the franchise and the NFL at large and left behind some just incredible data points. Being that we're all relatively smart people here at this table, I thought it might be interesting to look at some of them together before we talk a little bit of the philosophical talking points from the season. Now, obviously, the emergence of the Bills offense was the story of the season. Anybody with a pulse knows that. Chris could tell you that the offense was better, and that underscores just Chris is learned, still learning the X's nose of football. But he goes, oh, this passing game, they're more dynamic because they can attack the middle of the field. And I look at him like a newborn baby, and I go, look at you. Uh, it's like when a kid crawls for the first time, you go, oh, my God, this is adorable. I love this. I think the first play of the season, I said to you, oh, look at that. They're four wide. I looked at him and I go, good for you for, re- I, I gave him like a golf clap, like, good for you for recognizing personnel packages. This is the best. So I'm going to give, oh. I love the fact that my dog is on the stairs right now. Yeah. He's just, just, Gretzky, 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 you are the great one, but man. <laughs> you so, are the great one. <laughs> so which of these statistics that I'm going to give you two from 2020 is the most impressive to you and why? The Bills increased their average points per game 11.7, which is the biggest increase among all NFL teams from 2019 to 2020. Buffalo had 13 different players catch a touchdown pass, which tied an NFL record. Buffalo threw 40 touchdowns as a team and only allowed 23, which is a 43% differential. Which of those three is more important or more impressive to you, Nate? So it would have been really impressive had Taiwan Jones just caught that ball. And then it would have been 14 people, yeah. and then it would have been an NFL record. Don't get me started about that. that. Taiwan Jones shouldn't be. I, 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 I want to hear. I, I wish I could pick McDermott's brain just to know that that's why. Yeah. Wow. Thank you for bringing this Woodford over. It's like you knew that I needed more. Um, uh, but uh, so the question was about Taiwan Jones, right? You wanted me to talk to you <laughs> no! about yes. Taiwan Jones? I, I, I want to hear about Taiwan pick, Jones. What I want to do I is I want to talk pick more about Taiwan Jones. Because I have to know that the reason he was on the field was so that they could get Allen that record. Because That's I the only reason he had to be on the field. There's no right? other reason There's he should be on There's literally there. no other reason he's on that field at that point. Probably not. Um, but having said that, I think it's probably the least, in, least impressive thing. I mean, maybe not impressive is not the word, just least... I don't know, cool thing, like the least cool of them all. I think, um, I think the the total points, right? Was it 501, 504? Was that one? 504 was the most in Buffalo Bills history? Yes. Um, And, you know, it's funny that we were talking about points because, and and this is kind of a a, a quick topic, and I'll I'll be quick with this because I know, you know, we've got a lot to talk about tonight, but. um, Long winded. No. You know, I'm not, I'm not long winded either. I've, I've actually been known to keep my questions short. So You um, are known for very short questions. Succinctness. Uh, so, what I was going to say is, um, you know, actually, I forgot. So, because it took so long to, t- to talk about it, I forgot. So, we're good. No, wait, wait, wait. I got it. So, we're all talking about that, like, mostly everyone's talking about this year, going into next year, like, how do you get as many points or how do you be as good as you were on offense last year? Um, and my question isn't really, cause I just think like with Josh Allen, I think he still can get better, which is cool and pretty scary to think about. Um, and if he can get better and the offense can get better, like 
I want to know how they can be better next year. And yes. like, because I think they have to be. Um, and the question about, you know, who do you draft and, and what, what, strategy do you build around knowing that you have to beat the Chiefs? Do you try to build a defense that can force them to punt two or three more times in a game? Or do you load up, continue loading up on offense and try to score 50 points and beat them that way? Like It's kind of a really cool nip and tuck that is going to happen this offseason. And I kind of tweeted this out. I think this is such a unique offseason because... With COVID and teams that are you know don't have a ton of cap space, they're probably you're not going to see every team spending to the cap. I mean, teams are going to be on hard budgets, um, and if that's the case, um, we know Terry and Kim Pagula have the money and they're willing to do it. If it was the Sabers, it'd be one thing, but this is the Bills. They'll spend the money <laughs> on the Bills. So this is the kind of year you want to have a smart GM because there's going to be a lot of good players that would get long term contracts in other years trickle into like the mid level round of like numbers and, and kind of salaries in years, which means you can get good young football players for a year or two. And that like fits exactly into what the bills are trying to do with the window that they're in. So like the five Oh one points is really impressive to me only because I, I think that it's really good, but I think that they could be better. Um, and I mean, you can just, you can go through a bunch of games and find points. Here's the thing: Are they gonna? I mean, 56 points against the Dolphins was ridiculous. Well, that was um, just you showing. And off. then 49 that against was you Harlem, Denver wait, that, that two weeks you, in a row, right? Chris, we talked about that uh, the, the Harlem Globetrotters where we were like, oh, when they when they wouldn't, uh, they were, they were talking about the biggest line of the week at one point. And the Bills had it. The Bills had the biggest spread of any playoff team and it was coming off that game. And it yeah. was because the Vegas was worried that we were going to do that to the Colts. After watching what we did to the best cornerback group in the NFL that the Dolphins have, I mean, respectably, they were afraid that we like they were going to start playing the music and Wilt the Stilt was going to be out there and uh, <laughs> what's his name? Uh, oh, Stillwater... I'm not a Globetrotter guy. Oh, uh, yeah, get, get, get and one. Get and one. Let's, uh, let's move on. Let's move on. I don't, I, don't, I don't know any We were going to dunk all over these guys, and that our, but our points per game, I think, is... The, that's it's, a, we can agree. It's pretty, that's probably the most impressive. impressive increase, right? Yeah, I think the the points per game for sure, because, I mean, let's, let's be honest. We've been watching an offense for most of our adult lives that has struggled to put up 20 points per game. Yeah, and childhood, really. I mean, I don't, I don't remember... I don't remember Jim Kelly. Like, I'm, I'm 20, I turned 29 years old in November. I do not remember Jim Kelly playing for the Buffalo Bills. Zero recollection of it. But you do remember Todd Collins. Uh, Doug Flutie is, is Great my... Great drink. Doug, Doug, Doug Flutie is, is my first recollection of a Bills quarterback. My first Bills memory will always be uh, the just-give-it-to-him game with Drew Bledsoe scoring a touchdown against the Bills with zero seconds left on the clock. And the only reason that memory sticks out is because uh, I was playing with my little quarter machine football helmets, and then I threw them at the TV while my parents had uh, friends over, and they told me to go to my room. You, it's like you bring up things to hurt me so that I drink more, and then this whole podcast that's, just comes up. Yeah, that's, nobody, that's the North Collins way. Yeah, right. That's, I was we say, try no to one. force each other to drink more. And we do not try to. It's going for the shy, hype. We do not try to shy away from our vices. We try to lean into them. I'm Absolutely. That beer fridge behind you. There's a bottle open. You want to throw me that? Yeah. All right. Hold next. on. Oh, wait. We're running pockets. Which of these statistical performances? Shit, oh, suck it. Shit, suck it. Gates beat you to the punch, sir. Yeah, I'm slow. Well, if you weren't wearing skinny jeans, that wouldn't happen. I'm wearing skinny jeans, too. Oh, Jesus. I hate you both. (laughs) Who let you in here? So, 
my next question, which of these – because we're talking about the offense being the, like, that's the impressive thing from the season. Which of these statistical performances is more impressive or indicative of that offensive growth and why? You have Stephon Diggs, who shows up here and everyone – I mean, fantasy football, like, pundits were dubious of what he – where he was going to rank. And they said, oh, well, he's going, he's going to an inaccurate quarterback. It's probably not going to make that big of a difference. 1,536 yards from scrimmage. Josh Allen, okay, a year after being 32nd in the NFL in completion percentage, posts the seventh highest number of on-target passes in the NFL. 450 of them, 78.4% of all of his passes were on target. Or pretty impressive. the Bills, impressive. number one in third down conversion in the NFL at 49.7. Just, just to go back real quick, so to the uh, the previous question, one of the things that, that I love is Josh Allen's rookie year. Do you know how many people caught a touchdown pass that year? How many people? Five. <laughs> and Zay Jones was the number one person That's who true. caught touchdown passes in Josh Allen's rookie year. So to go to from five to 13, and not only that, but have four different players throw a touchdown pass... Like that is part of the reason. Like the Bills were so much fun. Like that is one of the things. The Bills were so much fun this year. So now when it comes to which of these statistical performances is most impressive, it, it's got to be Josh Allen. I mean, it just has to be Josh Allen for me. I mean, look at everything. Why did I quit my job? Why <laughs> did I fair. Why did I fair. quit my job because I thought Josh Allen was going to be a horribly inaccurate quarterback because I don't watch film and I only But he was. He right. was. And then it You know, and the funny thing is though, I, I think we you signs are easy to 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 like identify after the fact when you're looking back in hindsight. It's easier to say, "Oh, well we hindsight should have seen the signs." The the real sign should have been you know, Josh Allen making a guy like Robert Foster somebody that people thought was like a good player. That's and fair. a guy like yeah, like that 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 right there, I mean, is maybe just the best example of it. Isaiah McKenzie. You know, like he made these guys like I don't want to say Robert Foster is a household name in the league, but people knew Robert Foster not because of his illustrious college career at Alabama, um, <laughs> and his first round, you know, like he was an undrafted free agent that Literally, Josh Allen made look like one of the leagues I, so much so that I thought he was be like a legitimate wide receiver one. So outside of Zay Jones and Robert Foster in 2018, three other players caught one touchdown pass. One was Lee Smith, right? Come on, nope. no, no. There's there's three players. One was Dawkins, Deion Dawkins. I remember the game they did it. Colts the game. game. No, like Colts game was the year before. Never mind. Yep. Forget that. But that same player did cut, catch a touchdown pass. Joe Webb. No, he threw it. Okay. Uh, did Deontay Thompson? No. So the other two guys, I don't want to bog it down with this. Sure, the other it's two guys, Parrish and Calvin Benjamin and Jason Kroom. Biscuits. Right. Calvin Biscuits. Biscuits yeah. Benjamin. I'll never forget that. Who, who said he was one biscuit? It was Booger. Booger. Oh, yeah. Booger. One biscuit away. Look, look, look in the mirror. No, listen. Booger. This weekend, you want to talk yeah, about Booger? Booger knows. That's why he knows how many that's biscuits fair. you need to eat that, in order to become fair, a tight end. That's a fair point. Okay, this is what you're. but this is coming from the guy who this weekend, as I was sitting in the parking lot of the animal hospital over here in uh, on Genesee, in Chictawaga with one of my dogs at 7 o'clock in the morning, and I'm listening mm. to ESPN. They don't let Booger McFarland anywhere near the airwaves. 
unless it's outside of peak hours. So they let him on the morning show in Best Week Ever, and he's talking to the duo who's doing that the boy-girl combination that runs that show. I don't listen to it very often. Fits. Some sort of fits. Some sort of fits. Uh, who knows? Here's what I know. Booger McFarland made a comment about how they were talking about, oh, well, Jacksonville, Jacksonville trading for people trading for quarterbacks. And he goes, Jacksonville should probably be one of the teams that trades for uh, Deshaun Watson. They were like, well, that doesn't make any sense. He goes, no, it does, because they have Urban Meyer as their quarterback. And you know that if he doesn't win quickly, he's going to get, quote unquote, sick again. (laughs) And I was like, holy shit, they will let this guy say anything. They will let this guy get away with anything. I mean, they literally, they literally built a cart for him to go up and down the sidelines. <laughs> the like they literally built the cart. cart. He guy. had his own Pope mobile. Yes, it was amazing. Okay, so we've established that, and I agree. Here's why: because Diggs, we knew Diggs was a good receiver when we traded for him. I mean, people are blown away by the fact that he had 1,500 yards, which is surprising. That he led the NFL. That is a lot. It's a lot. But, but he doesn't also, get there without Josh Allen. But, but, but he's also a three-time thousand. But he's had drives. three one thousand yard seasons. Yep. So really, he's not that far removed. And he's always kind of done it with shitty quarterbacks. Yes. He's done it with Case Keenum. He's done it with Kirk Cousins. So he's you, done it with. So you knew that he was going to have the upshot of a thousand yard Eddie wide Bridgewater. receiver. So he's actually not that far from his baseline performance. To me, Josh Allen. Be going from the most inconsistent quarterback to seventh in the NFL in on-target passes, like he's up there with guys like Aaron Rodgers and Matt Ryan and these yeah, technicians. But, you know, with on-target passes, I mean that's not that's not a metric that you would say any receiver can help. He's just throwing no, it places him. that just receivers can catch, the the can catch the football. Place where they can catch the here's the thing, and here's why I you know earlier in the show I said. Let's stop talking about how the Bills can replicate or try to replicate what they did last year and talk about how they can be better. The quarterback in the best wide receiver, one of the best receivers in the league, had like two weeks of in-person work together before they started a season that mostly involved a lot of Zoom meetings. Um, So you're talking about a a guy, two guys that... It late in the process, I mean, not till mid to late summer, did they start really getting on field work done together. Um, so, with that said, the fact that you can walk into the season with the limited amount of time you've had to work on your craft and your timing together, and ask Peyton Manning how important you know being able to time on task is something that Peyton Manning always talks about is you know like you need that time on task in order to know what guys are doing and where they're going to be and, and kind of how to throw with anticipation. So, um, for me, the exciting part is. Those two should be better together next year, and especially if the Bills can find a semblance of a run game and that make them a little bit more difficult to defend and less predictable to defend. Yeah, like there should be bigger plays to be had too. Well, think about how quickly those two got together and got on the same page too. It's not only the fact that they're going to have an entire off season to do this, hopefully, because who actually knows what the NFL off season is going to look like? That's part of the problem is we still don't know with what's going on if the NFL offseason is going to look similarly to what it looked like last offseason. Well, the fact that we already, well, actually, we already have some clarity on that because the NFL tweeted out uh, two weeks ago, or not tweeted oh, out, 75. but there, 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 was a, there was a memo that was passed around, and I saw a tweet about it this oh, morning, memo. actually. A memo was disseminated to all 32 teams. The combine is completely virtual. Right. There's no in-person attendance. Now you're talking about trying to scout a collegiate process where you couldn't a lot of stadiums you couldn't even have scouts at the game are they doing it through huddle who knows now now, now there's going to be this kind of up and i think this is where good front offices are going to is are going to swim 
and poor front offices are going to sink. Even if you have great draft capital, if you aren't able to do the proper scouting, it's going to tank you. Well, isn't there the trade picks? Trade picks. Well, the other thing is, like, isn't interviewing isn't interviewing players one of the things that actually influence you to draft a player that you shouldn't draft? So, if you aren't doing as much of that in person, face to face interviewing and meeting these players and falling in love with their personality and strictly basing your evaluation off of what you see on film, you should probably actually end up at a place where you're drafting better. Well, they're doing Zoom calls, which is hysterical because any of us working from home or anyone who's ever had to sit on a Zoom call, if you think you can gauge a real personality or a real human interaction. I mean, do you think Des Bryant wants to fight anyone in the room when they ask if his mother's a prostitute if it's on a Zoom call? No, he probably just closes his laptop and walks away out of frustration. Instead, he tries to fight a GM in a room and the Cowboys go, that's my guy. That's my guy. guy. (laughs) But that's what I'm talking about. And so that's, oh, of course, (sighs) stop showing the Chiefs beating up the Buffalo Bills. God. I hate NFL Network. Folks, we have NFL Network on in the background because we're unprofessional as fuck. So, well, no, I, you we, go to a professional radio station, they got TVs on the news. All right, well, we're watching do. it now, and this right now all they're doing is running back the Chiefs beating up the Bills in that championship this game. Is super professional. What I'll say is my last number that I want to throw at you, this isn't even up for debate. It's just my, my favorite stat of the season. Josh Allen, the most blitzed quarterback in the NFL in 2020. 254 dropbacks, teams blitzed him. He finished the season 23rd in sacks with just 27 on the season. To put that into perspective, Philadelphia had 65 sacks as a team. Like, depending on who was playing quarterback for them on a given week, Josh Allen had just 27 despite facing the most extra pressure. How... How impressive is that? That's good. He's going to get blitzed more. And here's, <laughs> listen, here's, here's, the, here's the scary thing about Kansas City is Kansas City didn't put a formula I don't, or a blueprint on film because All not year. many teams can go out there and play the man coverage that Kansas City played in that game and then also blitz. And then also one of the things that I think if you go back and watch the Kansas City game that was really impressive was – Kansas City was moving out of looks like with two seconds left or a second and a half left in the play clock. So the chess that was happening in the middle of that game, as much of it as as how good the man coverage was in that game, the chess match that was happening that was being dominated by Steve Spagnola was, you know, here's a look. The Bills come out with a play. They change the play. And with two or three seconds left... Kansas City moves right into the ideal play to stop the play that was moved into. We, so, talk, so we they talked were, about the rotating safeties within the well, they have three second mark of... And, that's the, and, and having Sorensen yep. in the box be able to bail out and then yep. you bring in another safety from the other side to be the box defender to kind of we, fuck around with the balance. Chris of the, and I yeah. talked about that last week, about how that's the thing that doomed us, was that Allen would come to the line and make what he thought was a solid judgment call. And then with three or four seconds left... They anticipated watched. their check to, check to me. So that's, yep. that, that's really what it ultimately... They, they knew that if they showed one look, that the, the play that they would change into, they knew what the play that they it were going to change into. It was rock, paper, scissors, yeah. and... They were catching Spagnuolo it a lot. won more often yeah. than he lost. They were that catching was the difference in the game. Yeah. But ultimately, that statistic shows that unless you're a team that has the offense... Because here's the thing. How many teams have the offense Kansas City did? That's the reason you win that game, is because your offense scores on seven consecutive drives. Now... That's pretty good. If your defense, even if they can replicate what they did in that game, 
but your offense can't capitalize in the ensuing drive, are you any farther ahead against the Buffalo Bills on a week-in and week-out basis? Probably not. And so they're that, really fast, though, man. And that's oh, the one I thing the Bills that. need to do is find some defensive speed, but, and they need a corner, and they need to find some speed on offense. But so what it. I like about this is that, and that stat specifically from Josh Allen is that now we're in, as in the past, you could see like Bill Belichick ate Josh Allen's lunch uh, every ta- every matchup by just designing the last one, designing exotic pressure. And then this season happened, and you watch Josh Allen say, "Wait a minute, pressure." Oh, I've got something for you. Well, oh, I, I hey, I, tunnel I, screen. I'd like tunnel to, screen. Hold on, hey, no. Seattle like Seahawks, to, tunnel screen. I'd like to interject here because it's really important because you said Josh Allen. Well, Dayball uh-huh. really did help with that. Say it. Say that I again. know. God, you're going to make me do it. Go ahead. Say it, but say his first name. I need a sip of whiskey. Greg Thompson. Say his, say his first name. <laughs> Brian Dayball had a huge hand in allowing Josh Allen to create magic. Cut. Uh, Brian Dable has a huge hand. Had a huge hand. Just cut it at that, and then whatever he said afterwards. I will make a time. I will make any time time that he's said anything else, like involving incendiary references, phallic, phallic references. Make sure you cut that into after Brian Dable had a huge. (laughs) (laughs) That's hilarious. I got it. Yeah, on it. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So getting away from facts and figures, <laughs> this was a year of unparalleled growth for the Buffalo Bills in a lot of ways. I love the fact that you're laughing at our stupid ad break. Oh, that was amazing. We're wildly like, it was un- so much more professional than anything Gates <laughs> and I have ever done in our life. Yeah, this is me. Here's what I love. Gates is like... Pointing, laughing. I love this. Is Chris? This is what well, Chris I, does. Yeah. Well, I can't produce in ads anymore. They're all dynamic. Oh, so they're done through a server. So yeah, and we're, we're real so thrilled we, about it. Yeah, we apologize but, but for the <laughs> horrible ad break. Here's what I'll say though. I love the fact that we do a show like this with you guys because you guys worked there every day. And I've got this guy over here who might as well have Asperger's who's just, he's dialed in when it comes to being a what producer. Is it? Do you think it's the frosted tips that, that, that oh, indicates the, the spectrum? Tips, like, the just, it just the, the, the lack of understanding of human emotion. I mean, he might as well be a robot. <laughs> he might as well be a robot. But so getting away from all of this. That's why he works with, like, robots. Yeah, right, I'm saying that's why he's literally working. Yeah, because he, he works well with machines. He doesn't need yep. coworkers. He, he, right, no, right. He, he doesn't he, need coworkers. What he, he fits is, in well with machines. Mach- he needs machines and his headphones in so he never has to speak to another person. 
This was a year of unparalleled growth for the Bills in a lot of ways. The offensive explosion that we've talked about. There's a chart that I put in my notes that uh, Gates. You I'm can very see. impressed by it. Yeah, it's me showing my Atlas-like sculpted body. Very called, impressed. And a rock pile research. I mean, Nate, take a look at that. Oh yeah, let your eyes feast on that. So what I did was Speaking I amassed spectrum. I am I amassed Buffalo's <laughs> passing yards per game rank going back to 2010, and that was for a preseason show we did talking about wide receiver talent. And I said, here's where we finished every year in passing rank. We have just one season since 2010 ranked higher than middle of the pack, and that was in 2015, where Fitzmagic and Curtis Modkins were kind of running the show. You made here. that name up, but go ahead. <laughs> and then another season, just only one higher than 24th, which was Kyle Orton and Nate Hackett. Kyle Orton and Nate Hackett. Future head coach. Future head coach Nate, Nate Hackett, Hackett to yeah. you. Your mustache is somehow worse than Kyle Orton's, by the way. Uh, and then in 2016. Alcohol consumption is not. No, no that's not fair. Close. That's fair. <laughs> <Not even> close. <laughs> 2016 to 2019. McDermott's, McDermott's tenure up to this season. Their passing offense has finished 30th, 31st, 31st, and 26th. So... It's not hard to see why anybody who takes a look at the Buffalo Bills walks into 2020 going, Bow! They're going to suck. This offense is going to be dog shit again. Even after the Diggs trade, in the absence of a preseason, they're going to go, this passing offense is atrocious. And there's no bringing this back. They're going to drag this team down, but the defense is going to carry the load, and they're not going to win the division, or they'll be neck and neck for the division. Based on the history I just laid out, no one, even the national pundits who have thrown, we've all thrown a lot of shade, the Nick Wrights of the world, you can't (laughs) blame them if you look at those numbers, right? Don't say Nick Wright unless you're going to say Jeff Schwartz, too. Gates. Oh, yeah. Fuck him, too. So, (laughs) Gates. Yes. Yes. It's not hard to see where they're coming from, right? What, the 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 outsiders? The the, the outsiders. The the historical performance of this team. No, I mean... Let, they don't throw the ball well. Let, let's be honest. Everyone going into this season, I don't care if you were the biggest Josh Allen stan in the world going into this season. Like, What were your expectations as the biggest Josh Allen stan going into the season? He fucking blew them out of the water. Well, think about this. Like, you- he destroyed any semblance of what anyone, even who was a huge fan of Josh Allen, was going to do. So... If, Based on the history of this team, if you were trying to design the shittiest passing attack in the NFL, you'd look at the Buffalo Bills like Boston Dynamics. You'd look at them like savants, who instead of dancing robot dogs... They do a great job. Instead of dancing robot dogs and robots that are eventually going to kill us all in our fucking sleep... Don't terrify me before I drive home. I I mean, they're... They literally give you, I mean, they annually give you what could be considered crimes against football in terms of an aerial attack. And in 2020, they exploded with Josh Allen and Brian Dable working in tandem. Second in the NFL in completed air yards per attempt. Fourth in intended air yards. 5,152, which is more than the Kansas City Chiefs. Third in points per game. What that last stat, for those of you out there at home who aren't savvy, what that's telling you is that we actually tried to throw the ball more aggressively down the field than the Kansas City Chiefs did. We, yeah. just, we just didn't connect on all of them. Third in points per game. It's 29.9. 
No Bills team has ever joined that in my, no, in my adult life. No, that that's that's the thing. Like you and you you take a look at the coaching staff too. Like what do you expect out of a, a Sean McDermott coach team going into the season? What has Brian Dable ever proved as an offensive coordinator before this season uh-huh. to make you expect that he was going to put out an offense that was going to score thirty points per that's game? That's my that's my point. Nothing. Like, there is literally Brady, absolutely Brady nothing. Quinn twice is what yeah. he had. Okay, there's, okay, so there's so, literally nothing from any of these guys on the Bills. What he's referencing, what what Chris is referencing from the from the back, you're in the cheap seats. I I feel like you're at the. This table is only six feet long, but I feel like you're ten feet away from the rest of us. Well, that's socially distant. Yeah, we're all socially distancing. But here's the thing: when you think about what Brian Dable's had to work with at the NFL level in his career, he's the only man to have been Brady Quinn twice with two different franchises. I'm sure the day that they signed Brady Quinn, being one of them, he looked he looked at the franchise and went, "What the fuck are you doing?" Where, what are you doing here? He was. Pro- I hope. I really hope it happened that he was walking through the building and just bumped into him and was like, uh, "Michael Scott." When he found out Toby was back, he's like, "No, God, no! This isn't happening again. This is a bad dream." So, first of all, Nate, since yeah. you're the more nuanced individual That's when right. it comes to no film analysis, no, well, he's the football guy. I'm well, just there, the guy. Well, there isn't a singular catalyst for all of this offensive explosion. When you look back and think about what you saw on film as you did these breakdowns at cover one, what component of all of this do you think was the biggest reason for the growth that we saw? Stuff the line of scrimmage. Um, just him, you know, Brian Dable trusting Josh Allen to line of scrimmage. I, I'll say that I do think that the no fans in the stands was made things really easy for quarterbacks, not just Josh Allen across the league, to be way more aggressive very late in changing plays and, and um, you know, using the time on the on, on the play clock to really get yourself into good positions. And I think that Brian Dable and the Bills offense in their third year together had a lot of trust with Josh. And I think, you know, Josh earned that trust, but they, they also time on task, a lot of time on task. And, you know, they're going to get four, a fourth year together here. I think that's really big for Josh. I think it's really big for, for what this offense can be because, you know, we talk about this running game and how do they make it better. And I think a lot of that is, is done with scheme. Um, so I think, you know, when I look at, the offense overall, like I, a lot of it to me is Brian Dable and it's the scheme and it's what has allowed Josh to sort of grow and develop as a quarterback. But a lot of it is, you know, at the line of scrimmage, a lot of it is just how good he's been on those timing and rhythm throws and the the mechanics that he's cleaned up that are, I mean, almost unrecognizable if you if you watched a lot of him at Wyoming, especially Wyoming when, you know, he was really sloppy and he was really dependent on sort of being a wild gunslinger and he's really honed in his craft and um, you know that's one thing when you're in the draft process that can be really hard to determine is how much a guy you know truly loves it all of them there are there to convince you that you should pay them millions of dollars and draft them with your team's you know only first round asset every year Um, you know Johnny Manziel is a good example of this you know guys that just kind of wow in an interview but at the end of the day when they get the when they're in the room and they just don't command the team and so one thing with Josh when he walked into this organization and he he immediately gained the respect of all of his teammates his rookie year even though they were stinking up the joint um and when guys want to play for josh allen i mean he hurdles you know anthony barr and it felt like everyone wanted to play for josh allen and and um yeah i don't know there's a lot to love about josh what i think the the best thing about him last year was at the line of scrimmage and i think that'll continue to be a developmental part of his game but his mechanics were super impressive the the, his ability to just be much better and more consistent all across the board in places by the way are in phases that 
traditionally you would say if you're relying on changing the mechanics of throwing mechanics of your quarterback by the time he's in the NFL, it's too late. That was the whole thing with with Tim Tebow is they've the muscle memory of millions of reps one way trying to change it was impossible. That's what we that's what we've all come to know about the quarterback position is it's too tough to change at this point in their career. And Josh Allen does it in one offseason and goes from the 32nd most efficient quarterback in football to like a top five in efficiency. It's truly and I'm going to tell you this, too, and kind of my last point with Josh Allen is he's going to get a whole bunch of – he's going to get a whole era of coaches fired because they're going to go after guys with, you know, crazy arm talent who just can't put anything else together um, because they're going to watch what Josh Allen did and say, well, we can – we're good enough coaches to get the next Josh Allen and create the next Josh Allen. And the problem is is no coach created Josh Allen. Josh Allen created Josh Allen by literally seeking advice from Tony Romo and Pat and, 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 and Peyton Manning and going to work out with Jordan Palmer and listen, I mean he's the only guy left from the rookie year when he was working with Jordan Palmer, still working with Jordan Palmer. So that that should say something. Like he's still trying to perfect his craft and, and I think that's a big part of why he is who he is. It's less about who has coached him and more about his willingness to be coached. He's an anomaly. Like there's there's no question at this point. Like you look at Josh Allen from where he's come from in the the NFL draft to where he is now, and he is a statistical anomaly. anomaly. Yeah, it's it's unquestioned, and it's because of who he is and the way that he's endeared himself to mostly the way that he's worked, and then the way that he's been able to endear himself to the team. I think you you look at Stephon Diggs right, and the what they're they're literally the greatest bromance that I've seen on live television in years. They're the greatest bromance I've ever seen from real people on live television because they came together, they realized very quickly that they are very similar in what they want to do, the work that they're willing to put in, and the way that they want to shape their craft and what their goals are. And when you have two people that are pulling in the same direction like that, and you've got one person who's still kind of feeling his way through it, and you've got another person that's able to provide an outside voice for what is actually required to get to the level that the Bills got to this year, which is what Stefan Diggs was able to provide. Not that the Vikings were a great team, but he was a part of playoff teams that actually won playoff games. And he was able to come in and provide that type of energy and that type of edge to where it wasn't just the Bills are this team that maybe are pretty good and can win some playoff games too. By the end of the year, it was the Bills are the team to watch out for in the playoffs. And the mentality change, and I, I don't think it can necessarily be pointed to, to, to one player, but the, the impact that someone can have where they come in from the outside and look at what you're doing from the inside and say, like, yeah, this is great. This is how you take it to the next level. I think that Stefan Diggs was really the catalyst to that and also provided Josh Allen with someone where he connected to on an emotional level where when he was out on a football field and needed someone to go to, it was Stefan Diggs yeah. because they had that tight of a connection where it wasn't just a professional connection. It's like when you're working with your best friend. Like he was working with his best friend out on you the know, football though, field. Well, the crazy thing to think about though, on top of just Stefan Diggs, is I I said this like a couple of times this season, and if you really think about which quarterback if you can name one other quarterback that had the type of 
like time on task and rapport with their fifth receiver. Like him and Isaiah McKenzie, you you watch that the Dolphins game last game of the year. He looks like he stepped in. He could be a number two receiver in the NFL, and that doesn't happen a lot of places. But like Josh has the rapport with all of those receivers, and even a Gabriel Davis is another guy who has. And it just it doesn't matter. But that's the maniac work ethic that it takes in order to get to that, especially at that position. Oh, for sure. Now, one of the things that. You touched on earlier, and I almost cut to, but as a <laughs> as a bad host, I didn't. You talked about Sean McDermott's growth, and I think it's one of the it's before we jump into some of the superlatives. It's one of the storylines that nobody has touched touched on. Everyone's talking about Josh Allen. Everyone's talking about Brian Dable. All the ways that this team has grown. No one wants to talk about Sean McDermott. I mean, we talk about shifts. I noticed it out of him and his staff, and I think they should be applauded. Most no, notably. Shifts in philosophy. Yes. I mean, first of all, I just want to table this to the two of you. Is it weird to think that Sean McDermott is the eighth longest tenured head coach in the NFL right now? Oh, in the NFL. I thought you meant franchise history. Among, I thought he was going for I was franchise say, history, history too. I was not, like, no, yeah, yeah, no, no that makes total sense. Makes, among active, NFL among is, active head coaches, he's the eighth longest. Who's longest? Hold on. Belichick. Belichick. Tomlin? Number Tom, two. Well, Tomlin's there. Then you're talking about uh, Pete Andy, Carroll, Pete Sean, Carroll, Sean Payton, Sean Payton, Andy Reid, Andy, oh, yeah, Andy Reid. He's been in Kansas City a while. Yeah. So that's it. Here's a question: When the hell have the Bills ever been an example of stability, both at the head coaching position and in the front office? That's that's one of the I think greatest things that we've seen from from this is it's they brought in the coach who they believed in. He was able to provide almost immediately what they were looking for to get. I think one of the biggest things that happened to this team was the fact that they got that playoff drought out immediately. Like the fact that that happened bought them more time to be able to do what they wanted to be able to do because there was goodwill in the air. So you get that off of like the collective fans mind and you get more time and that's okay Josh Allen is the quarterback we need to take some time to develop him and then they still manage when Josh Allen is not a great quarterback he's a bottom third quarterback in the league they still manage to get into the playoffs due to the fact that the defensive head coach had a great defense and then everything the following year shifts completely where it's the offense now that is the thing that is taking you forward. And what, what Sean McDermott has really shown improvement in, and I think it's been touched on a million times by anyone who's watched this team, is just the general decision-making during the process of the game. Yes. And for me particularly, it was one of the most disappointing things to watch during the Kansas City Chiefs game. <sighs> yep. It was one of the most disappointing things to watch was all season long and for the past He was Big Dick three, Sean and then he went into Limp Dick Sean. Yes. No, for the he has three he years. He turned. Yes. I made the I it made, made me, me so upset. I made the comparison that he was George Costanza getting caught with his pants down going, I just got I was in the pool. I yes. was in the pool. That was him in the KC game, but all yes. season long he had been aggressive. And in those situations, when it when well, the numbers dictated and said like winning percentage will be on your side yes. if you go for it, he was going for it in those moments, and then and that's crazy because when you look at the numbers for the first three years of Sean McDermott's tenure, the Bills were a ground and pound conservative offense that pretty much relied on hey our running game is going to keep get keep us in a game, and our defense is going to make sure the other team can't win it, and that's how we won. 
And then this year, you watched him go, hey, what, 2020. First time as a head coach where his team didn't finish in the top 10 for rushing attempts. Thank God. 2020 marked the second lowest rank for scoring defense of McDermott's career. His defense didn't win the day. His rushing no, it atta- did not. His rushing attack didn't win the <laughs> no, day. No, it did not. And yet he was more than okay with all of that. He just said, look, this is how we're going to win football games now. Offense, and what I think this underscores, for me, as far as my faith in him, because Chris will tell you I got drunk during a couple games early on in the season and declared that he he could and maybe should be Dick Duron 2.0. You said that several times this season. Yeah. Several. Yeah, I, I love the look of shock on Ryan's face. He's like, I'm trying to figure out how to spin this positively. You can't. I'm a drunkard and, and a psychopath. <laughs> but, but, offensive, what they kind of self-actualization that I... Yeah, that's really the type of self-awareness that I like to have around me. That's what I'm talking about. That's because like, my lack of it, with our lack of self-awareness, you really kind oh, of bring I, us back to ground level. You I at least understand it what it is I have going wrong for me. Offensive and defensive coordinators will come and go. If this franchise is successful, I mean, we talked about it all offseason. Ooh, is Dable leaving? Is he going to take another job? It's literally from day one all we talked about. They're going to come and go. That's what we're going to talk about this year, too, by the way. You can't pigeonhole, oh, your, yeah. you can't pigeonhole yourself to a certain type of play. And this year underscored that McDermott isn't afraid to change the way his football team plays because he thinks he can adapt. And he thinks he can still mentally prepare these guys to go out and go to... F- you know, one of the things today, John Ledger of Pewter Report, and, and I'll tweet him at this, or tweet this at him later, because I thought he was really right when I was listening to this. He said something along the lines of what he thought one of the biggest issues with the Bills' defense this year was not that, like, the players weren't playing well or they weren't executing or that teams were just executing really well against them, and it was more about Leslie Frazier's scheme and Sean McDermott's scheme becoming a little predictable towards like the end of the year, um, or towards the beginning of the year, and it, they, they, they changed some things up and tried to be a little bit more... Um, tried to be a little different later on in the season, but like that was one thing, too, with the defense that... That couldn't be the one thing. I think with offense, if you have a good coordinator, you're constantly changing concepts, you're changing schemes, you're changing, you know code words that you're using like you're going down to that level and I wonder defensively you know like they they need to change a little bit of who they are I think defensively too like they can't just say well we're going to go get players and we're going to continue to run out the same chess match strategy because the they lost a chess match and they lost like the physical match and they lost a lot of different levels in that game so it's like did the the OTAs in no preseason and I heard every defense well for the Bills at least on the defensive line you could say we had four new people, Butler, Addison, yeah. Epineza, Jefferson. Jefferson. COVID happens, there's no pre there's no preseason, there's no OTAs, so you have no continuity on that defensive line. You just go right into the season. Yeah, and no Star Latulale, who I think everybody was you know, he was everyone's goat until, you know, you know, you everyone started realizing what he you, did on the football right, field. Because you don't see what he does on the football field in real time. You see it. When you watch Tremaine film? Edmonds, and you're you're like, what the fuck is wrong with Tremaine Edmonds? Why does he suck? He's the worst. Yeah, like, he was the worst at the beginning of the season. As the, the common fan at the beginning of the season, I hated Tremaine Edmonds. Yeah, he's every, he's everyone's he's everyone's what what do you call it? I don't know. Whipping post. Whipping post. He's the whipping post kid. But he's he's like the quarterback, and that 
when everything's going right, he gets you a lot of him. credit, and when everything's going wrong, he's he's the reason that everything's going wrong. So I think with with Sean McDermott, and one of the key points that I think you know truly makes him a great coach, and it's when you watch him in these behind-the-scenes things. He is a great motivator. He connects with his players, I think, better than any coach that I've seen, you know. And what have I seen, right? I'm some asshole that's sitting at a kitchen table right now with a microphone in front of me for the first time in four years. Wait, kitchen? Uh, dining room? Well, I mean, basement? We're, in a, basement. we're in a basement. Basement so. level basement. You want me to basement. call it a basement it's table? I know it's furnished. You want enough, me to call it a basement, basement table? It's, it's not a basement table. It's a dining room table. This could be in some people's kitchens, I guess. All right, in well, 1997. Like $19.97? No, like 1997, like the year. Oh, the year. Look at the color of this. It's a basement table. Why would you? Okay. In any event, I digress. <laughs> Any, anyways, like Sean McDermott, what what he does, and I think what a lot of his players are are able to say, what he does is, and I think this is important, literally in in any type of of job that you're in, it's getting everyone to to buy in and move in the same direction, even if you like aren't sure about what your position is with at the table, and then you know you're looking at this. This offense that's at what twenty sixth and passing, thirtieth and passing, yada yada yada. You look at that, and then Sean McDermott, once he realizes he has the pieces in place to be able to say, you know what, what is the strength of this football team? What is the pieces that we've put in the place to to make this the strength of the football team? And it's Stephon Diggs, Cole Beasley, John Brown. Gabriel Davis, Isaiah McKenzie, Dawson Knox, Josh Allen, the offensive line that we've invested in. Yes, we've invested two third-round picks into running backs, but ultimately we've invested to make this team into a passing team. And that's what turned it over into an offensive juggernaut was the faith from Sean McDermott going from his roots of conservative coach that wants to win through running the football and defense to being able to actually put faith into his team to pass the football like it's 2021. No, that's that, that's it. I mean, when you look at what the ways he grew as a coach, I think, this year, and we've talked to one of my favorite things that I've ever talked to Reed about, and we're friends with Reed Ferguson, the long snapper. It was after uh, Hard Knocks with the Cleveland Browns where – the wide receiver who eventually the Bills would end up trading for and then cutting Corey Coleman. Corey Coleman. He walks into the offensive. He walks into the head coach's office and starts yelling at him about his lack of snaps during practice. And the coach kind of turtles and goes, "Well, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Just go talk to your position coach. I don't know what to tell you. I don't know what to tell you." And you saw a weak, ineffectual coach there in that moment. And then you. <sighs> And then I talk to Reed and I go, Reed, what would happen if anyone on this Bills team were to ever? I go, because I, I was there. I had media credentials for the Sean McDermott's first training camp in 2017. And I was there on the final day when practice was sloppy. And I watched uh-huh. him call a whistle to practice, make all 90 guys take a knee so that he could motherfuck them to their face. Hell yeah. And I was looking at Sal. I'll never forget it. I was standing with Sal Capaccio, who was super, super nice to me. 
the whole thing. He didn't have he's, to be. He's a nice guy. He didn't know me for no, just a nice Because he probably thought you were an idiot and was like, ah. Probably, well, he no. probably watched me walk onto the practice field and then was like, this guy needs help. Yeah, because this, he's going to get beat up and thrown out Somebody hold this guy's hand. So we were talking about, hey, what's the best vantage point? Where should I be? What can I take any pointers off of you? And then that happens. And I look at him and I go, does this happen at every training camp? And he's furiously on his phone taking notes going, no, no, this does not happen. Sean McDermott is undressing this team in front of everybody. That's that's. Yeah, unpar- could you imagine Rex Ryan doing that? No. But so I asked. Let's Reed, eat some damn lunch. So I asked yeah, Reed. Exactly. I go, Reed. What would happen I if someone lunch. were to walk into Sean Me McDermott's too. office and approach him in that Me manner? The, they brought the energy that Corey Coleman brought to his head coach to Sean McDermott. He goes, I don't know. I don't. He goes, I don't think anyone would think of that because it's already been established that that's a terrible idea. Yeah. <laughs> It's a terrible idea. Well, that's 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 part of it, right? Like you come into the Bills organization at this point with the the GM and the head coach that are in place, and there's expectations of how you act and how you how you are a professional. Like they literally bring people into the organization that are professionals. Like that's what they're looking for out of individuals, and I think that's part of the brilliance of the Stefan Diggs trade, right? Is like, you've got all the outside noise of what Stefan Diggs is. I guarantee you that these guys did their due diligence on oh. who Stefan Diggs Well, they said, was. they're like, oh, he's a dog, and we want right. guys who want to win. No, because what it is is hyper-competitive can get confused for being a bad teammate. Look at Tom Brady. As much as I hate his guts, when Tom Brady is screaming at his offensive line, it's because he's hyper-competitive. He wants to win. And so when he's telling them, hey, you got to pick it up, or when he's yelling at wide receivers for not being where they're supposed to be, it's not because he's a prima donna. I hate – Chris – is this the first time I've ever said anything positive about Tom Brady on this podcast? It might be. I'm cheering for Tom Brady in the Super Bowl. How do you oh, feel about that? You? We're going to have to talk about this. Well, here, so, real quick before we hop into that, the the one key thing to I, I do always want to go back to is how much of a bullet they dodged by not trading for Antonio. Oh, oh and that trade yeah. not going through. And I through. love the fact that Tom Brady loves that guy. That's why I can't, that's why deep down I know he's a heel. Even when people try to say, no, look, oh, he, he is, is no, 100% a heel. He um, is the best heel of all time. Because scumbags like scumbags, and sorry, I, I'll hate Tom Brady forever, but one of the things is hyper-competitive guys will push the people around them to the degree that they think, that because they're at a certain level and they expect everyone to meet that. And that's what I think almost Josh Allen needed was another alpha out there on the field. We talked about it after the the second half of the Steelers game. I watched Stephon Diggs walk out of the tunnel the same way I've watched my friend Dave walk out of a bar ready to go beat someone up in a parking lot. There's a strong. Is your friend Dave your dad? No. No. Although Dave, Ge- <laughs> although Dave Gear has thrown some hands in his dad. Oh, I know Dave Gear. Dave Gear's going to beat up Chris. Yeah. It's oh, hilarious. What? Oh, no. He's going to fuck Chris up. It's going to be hysterical. Why? Can I. No, no, we'll talk about it off air, but it's going to be it's going to be <laughs> we'll talk about it off air. When it happens, it's going to be hilarious. So I just want to be here. That's so all. So here's what happens, though. Josh Allen gets put in the room with another guy who goes, look, I'll fight. I will fight to win a game. And Josh Allen goes, well, thank God. I've got another guy in the room who thinks just like I think. I'll fight and die for this W. Well, guess what? They make magic together. 
this team knew that, did their due diligence, and figured out that's what this guy means when he's when, when other teams can't handle him. We have to figure out how to cultivate that, and they did, which underscores what a good head coach Sean McDermott is. And I think that that gets lost in all the noise of this 2020 stuff as we talk about how great the team became. Now, I just want to run down some season superlatives. We got to give away some awards. We got to talk about some of the highs and lows. First, I just want to kick it off. Most disappointing fast in the 2020 season, I think we can all agree, was no fans in the stadium. Can we agree that that was the most disappointing no. part? No. Uh, most disappointing part of the season was that Tyler Bass didn't change his number to six so that they could have 6-9-69 with Reed, 69, <laughs> Tyler Bass, 6, Bojo, 9. Could we call and you have the, the triumphant. Could we call him the 6-6-9 game? No, I think you just call him 69 squared. You know, 69 squared. Oh, look at this. And I've, I've tweeted at Reed. He said he would talk to him, but I don't think he's taking it seriously. So I'd like Chris to maybe talk to him. For here's, here's I, can, I, can, I can pull that up. My, for me, most disappointing facet, not getting Wicker earlier in the year. Oh, yeah, because there were some times <laughs> like I would chairs. Thought, oh, no, I destroy Wicker furniture when I'm yeah. upset because I don't like breaking things in my own home. And when I'm acting, see, I'm outwardly violent when I'm angry about <laughs> like, football. Just like make, a, problem play, make is like, like a Play-Doh wall. That but you I don't do something. it towards people. I keep my animosity to myself, and I don't do it towards things of Drew, do you respect value. wood? Ah, to a certain degree. When it's indoors, <laughs> not outdoors. That's a nice smash. Now, see, I've had I need season, more of a smash. I've had, oh no, it exploded the second time I threw it. So, <laughs> I've had season tickets for 10 years, and that's 10 years of me storming out of games, literally sometimes at halftime. 10 years of freezing my ass off, only to watch our team leave me with a bad taste in my mouth, and just unable to look at anything sports-related for at least a day or two. Ten years of clinging to the hope that it's okay that I'm paying for this because someday I'm going to get to watch home playoff games. Yeah. And then it happened. We finally got the season, and Chris and I couldn't be there to see it. No, I think... Do you want to kick in the teeth, that is? Yeah, ultimately, I think that you, you have to to go with that, right? Like, I mean, it's it's years that people have held on to their season tickets. It's years of disappointment. It's years of building tradition. It's years yeah. of building that family that you have at Bills games. And then finally, it's the year where it's the home playoff game. It's two home playoff games, one Saturday night. Like, it, it, that sucks. Like, that sucks. I could have tailgated that all sucks. day for that fucking thing. Oh, my God. And I could have tailgated for we a robbed. week. We were robbed of that experience. And that you, I'll ne- I, will always, I will always look it, back at this season a little bit as the season I was robbed of the... This was the reason the, I had season tickets. It's the year without a Santa Claus in terms of the Bills, dude. It's I the lo- miser, See, these are the moments that we bring miser, you and your flow. Ice your miser, flow. you know, snow miser, whatever the hell his name is. The guy who should be played by Ted Danson in the real life <laughs> movie of the year without a Santa Claus. Ice miser, snow miser. But it's the year without a Santa Claus. What? That's what yep. this is happening. That's what uh, this, this is all coming off the rails, Nate. This is what happens when you leave us to this. So, regular season loss. Let's go between the two of you. Raisin, regular season loss that sung the most. There was only three of them. So, pick your poison. You yeah, that was another terrible. Because I'm gonna, I'm gonna choose something that you don't. Um, I'm gonna pick the midget miracle. I'm sorry, the hail mary. Yeah, how the could it not be that miracle? I just made that up right there. <laughs> you guys can use that if you want. 
All that right. was good. Although I think people take offense. When I was going to say, I think I think the term is little people. Which, I like called, I said, you look like a seventies. I, I said something like Carter Hutton. I tweeted. Listen, I I tweeted something like Carter Hutton is so is like so short that his head barely touches the crossbar, and like multiple people tweeted at me like, delete this. I'm like, <laughs> you I mean, your people are the worst. You you are a big politically correct man. That is true. You are you love being politically correct. I, I do. Yeah. How could it, how could I, it I not be? It. How could it not be the Arizona game? Uh, it has to be the the midget I mean, miracle will, definitely hurt the most. I, I will say I think even worse than that. So the that game hurt because it was just like the last second the last second sting of it, right? And mostly because you had the high of watching them go down and having Stephon Diggs make that catch. I think worse was the Tennessee Titans game. Up top, that was mine. Wholeheartedly, I think worse is the Tennessee Titans game. You're you're jacked up. You've been waiting so many days for the Bills to play again. They're four and zero against a fucking team. Tuesday. Yeah, against a team that you think that they can easily destroy. They have the the other team hasn't practiced in two weeks. Practice, and you are thinking that the Bills are going to go in on a primetime NFL game on a Tuesday night and just walk through this team and they get absolutely blasted by 20 plus points by the Tennessee Titans. You, I think that was the most disappointing. You had the thing that makes it the most atrocious is that you had the momentum of the four game win streak. The mental and physical toughness of having survived a pair of close games that made us all believe that listen, no matter what the other team throws at us, we can weather the storm. You had the moral high ground. The moral high ground. you go, listen, we're not the bunch of schmucks that forced the whole (laughs) NFL to change their schedule. No, we have our shit together. And instead, they come out, they punch us in the mouth, both literally and uh, literally. I mean, look at Josh Norman. mostly literally. Josh Norman became a meme because of that game. Yeah, he did become a meme. And suddenly the narrative became... Look how tough and resilient the Titans are. During the game, which was even worse, these guys haven't practiced in two weeks. Look at how they came out and played today. The Bills have been practicing for ten days straight. And then, and then that jerk off Taylor Lewan, who between this year and last, I really hope I hear this offseason he's involved in a tragic lawnmower accident. Uh, he talked all kinds of shit on his way off the field about oh they hated they doubted us. Bah, 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 bah. It's why I was rooting against. That's why I was rooting against them in their first round playoff exit because you're a joke and so is your team. And I think that more than anything else stung about the loss was that the narrative somehow became that the Buffalo Bills just got outclassed by a team that wanted it more. And it's like, wait a minute, no, that that. was a team that didn't have to do anything for two weeks. And then they got off the couch and... And the Bills were preparing to potentially play against the Chiefs on a Thursday night. Yeah. Instead, they ended up playing the Titans on a Tuesday night. So So, stupid. I hated that game. That game was... That was one of the games, I won't lie to you, Drew, that was one of the games where I was in my house by myself, and thankfully I was, because if I was anywhere else where I would have been consuming mass quantities of alcoholic beverages on a Tuesday night, my career would have been in jeopardy the following day, quite honestly. Here's the thing, I consume mass quantities of alcoholic beverages on Tuesday nights all the time. I do this podcast. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> so maybe my career is still in jeopardy. There we go. Now, to switch Hire gears. me, Range Marketing. <laughs> Favorite regular season victory? 
For me, it's the Rams, hands down, because we watched it at Doug's, and you were just blowing your mind that we were losing that game because you had yet to see our offense win us a game. And you're like, this is our offense can't do anything. Our defense is, you know, letting the Rams into this game. And I think I made a uh, secret bet with you, which I thankfully won. And yeah. that hopefully started you down that that road of our offense finally wins us games. Nate, your favorite victory of the 2020 season? <sighs> Seattle. Seattle was yeah. fun. Seattle was fun. Just Seattle was guys. was Baker Mayfield planting the flag in, <laughs> in midfield. Twenty eight runs or twenty eight passes to three runs in the first half. They Josh Allen looked literally unstoppable, and everybody tried to brush it off as wow, the Seahawks are the worst defense in the league. They weren't that bad. No, like, they weren't that bad, and the Bills made them look. Like, like a joke. The like tunnel a JV screen. team. The tunnel screen was my favorite play of the game because you just like, well. It's Seattle by a mile. You're going to call cover zero. I agree with Nate. I have a screen to a wide receiver that's going to go for 56 yards and almost a touchdown. Fuck you. Come at me. Come. He's Randy Marsh out there. Come at me, bro. Come on. I no. thought this was America. <laughs> that I'm, I'm with Nate 100%. I mean, that, that Seattle game. I mean, I remember going into that Seattle game and what the emotions of that game were. You had just beaten a New York Jets team with six field goals, and then you beat a New England Patriots I wrote an article on WGR saying, is it okay to ask and want more from the team after they scored 18 points against the Jets? And then won a game due to Justin Zimmer punching a Cam Newton ball out with how much time left on the clock. And it's hilarious that you both mentioned that because here's where I'm tied. I have a tie in my head. It's the Rams game or it's the New England game, and I need your help deciding because it's for almost the same reasons. I mean, both of them had the same narrative. The Bills were good early, bad late, and you expect it. You're watching the game going, typical Bills, Bills the bottom's falling out. Bills meltdown. And in both games, in uncharacteristic fashion, the Bills find a way to snatch victory from the Jaws of defeat in ways that in the past you wouldn't see it. Like, look at against L.A., First of all, the Bills get a call I was against say, LA. If it, if it comes to those, I got to choose. I got to choose New England because it didn't come down to the officials. But it came down to a player making call. a play. The Buffalo Bills never get a call when it matters. In a pit. Chris, when's the last time before the Rams game you can remember a game where a game deciding call fell our way? Never, not in my lifetime. That's my point. So that game, so the call goes down. And then your quarterback executes a touch pass to a tight end who still has to fingertip it. He still fingertips it, but he catches it. That's a play the Bills don't make any other year but 2020. I mean, that that game was definitely among the tops, but I would still like to, I would much prefer to, if you're, if you're between two games, the New England game, because okay. it really came down to, a player making a play, and this is the play. Just a, a not player just a player, a play. but a no-name defensive tackle. Justin Zimmer making a play, making a huge play in a huge. A moment. defensive tackle wearing sixty-one. Yeah, Cam with Newton. elbow pads and no gloves. Like Cam, he's a fucking king. Cam Newton <laughs> is streaking towards the end, at least a first down, he if is, not a touchdown. Yeah. They're going to score a touchdown. They're yeah. going that play to does score. Not happen, and all of a sudden, the ball's on the ground. We have it. 
And we've beaten the Patriots. No, that, that and you're moment, looking at the TV, going, "Is this real life? We yeah. just beat the Patriots." No, it's definitely that's that's a moment that, that sticks was, out in the season, right? Because it was the because moment it that was, you started to think the division really is ours. Like yeah. this, we really run this shit. It's it's definitely one of those moments because I mean, I'm watching the Patriots drive down the field, and I'm like. The Patriots are about to score a touchdown. <laughs> like the Patriots are literally They're about going to score. score. And they are suddenly, going to score a and touchdown. And suddenly we have the ball and, and then we're kneeling. The, yep. And I'm getting sprayed with champagne by Mark the in the driveway. That makes sense. It's listen, I mean we, we get nuts over here. But the thing was I guess I could say the New England victory was a little sweeter. It's just it wasn't as satisfying because it's like you expect the Bills to go in there. You were expecting the Bills to go in there and beat the Patriots' ass with Cam Newton. And they, they you were, and they that's did like, not. And I think that's why I ultimately come down to to Seattle. Yeah, was because even though it was a fairly close game, ultimately like the Bills went in there and they beat their ass. Like the at Seattle's own game of being excellent on offense. Yeah, and like watching. Josh Allen very clearly and obviously outduel the guy that everyone was talking about as MVP, MVP at that point. And almost lose. Yeah. Favorite post game experience. Now, Nate, this is interesting for you considering give you that, have to give work. That to Nate. I don't even have to like post game experience. I don't even have post game experiences. They're either blackout or I'm asleep. <laughs> there is no post game experience. Favorite post game experience, Nate? Probably the Ravens after the divisional round game. Uh, I think for the most part it was because you mentioned that play, obviously the Taron Johnson play. Um, but that was a real nail-biter game from a watch perspective. And, and at this time, um, so to give you an idea like how the situation goes, so post-game for home games, uh, typically when I'm at the station, uh, Mike and Chris will be at the stadium. But obviously this year, on the away games, they're in the studio. So for away games, when they're in the studio, I watch the game in the newsroom, and the newsroom is a terrible place to watch football. It's just a fucking terrible place to watch football. It's the worst place to watch football. It's not bad when you're in the studio. So that game, I Mike had COVID, so he wasn't in the station, and I was watching the game by myself in that studio, and I was a wreck during that game. And watching that interception... Honestly, though, it really wasn't the interception. It was... This is going to sound harsh, but I'm a man, and I love football, and I love violence, but that knocking Lamar out of the game was kind of the pinnacle for me in that game. <laughs> it wasn't even really, Listen, and it's not, not because I don't like Lamar, it's just I love football, and I just love, like, you just love that you annihilated the other team. Like, you, you, you ripped their hearts out, and then you literally stomped out the quarterback. You, you curb stomped him. Would you say that's best play of the year? The interception? Interception. It's best play in my lifetime. Okay. Chris, favorite play of 2020? I got to go with Nate. That Teron Johnson. Chris, we were down here in this basement. There was beer spilled under that couch. My wife is trying to stop me, and yep. no one cared. We were celebrating. I was hugging. We got calls from England. We got a listener FaceTimed us from Love England. That. During the pick after the pick six to be like, this is real life. It's three fifty in the morning and everyone in my apartment complex is mad at me and I don't care. I don't care. I was like, this is how you know it's real. Like that's a that, that's an earth shattering play. I mean, are you on the Teron Johnson pick six as yeah, play no, it's, of the I mean that's the play I think everyone said it. It's the play of my lifetime. Like it's literally 
I think back to to my Bills experiences as as a fan growing up, and I, I think it's kind of funny because it ties into the last time that I was on this podcast. I think I made a mistake the last time I was on this podcast. And ah. I say George Wilson made an interception when it was actually Drayton Florence. That Drayton made Florence picking off Tom Brady and off said, of Marcel Darius's helmet and running it back for a touchdown. Yes, and I, I, I made a mistake there, and I had people come at me for that. And now... What? Well, you know, it's fuck them people. Yeah, exactly. I don't give a shit. Like it's it's fine. It is what it is. But like that's literally, I, I am sitting in my garage. Like I recently bought a house. I have a garage that I can finally do something that I want to do in it. I'm like projecting the game off a projector. I'm hosting people over to my home for a Bills playoff game, and. I've got a confession to make. Like he, here's oh, the boy. thing. I've got a I got a confession to make that I think may have been the downfall to the Bills postseason chances. Oh, no. So I need to get this off of You're my the chest. Bush. So while that was happening, so last year I was given by my sister at Christmas time a uh, ultimatum. No, a Josh Allen prayer candle. Oh, okay. Oh, nice. Those are good. Uh, a Josh Allen prayer candle, which during the Houston Texans game last year I I had lit. It didn't work well for them. Now, this year during the regular season, I never lit that candle because I thought it was bad luck. Um, and I continue to do that, except for one moment this year. Uh, the interview that I had at my current job for a promotion, I lit the Josh, Andel, Josh Allen candle because I figured that would be a, a good sign for me within my, my career. Like, Josh Allen led me to this job. I might as well light his candle to give me a promotion at this job. And it worked. I got the promotion. Then... Colts game comes around. I light the Josh Allen candle. We uh, blow it out during halftime because we're like, fuck this. Josh Allen candle needs to stop. Like, this is not working. It's not working. It's not working. And then finally, uh, what ended up happening during the uh, Teron Johnson interception was I had the uh, Josh Allen candle on the fridge in my garage outside as me and my friend are jumping up and down frantically celebrating the Teron Johnson interception. The candle falls off the top of the fridge. Starts a fire. I wish it started a fire because I would have taken that insurance money and ran. Um, but no, it breaks on the ground. Here's the thing: only the glass breaks. You're the reason. Only the glass breaks. Josh Allen's face remained intact on the candle, so I took it as a sign of resilience that Josh Allen was going to be able to take on any tasks that came his way. And you were wrong. You broke the candle. You killed everybody's hopes. I hope you're happy, Buffalo. You heard that. He let you I'm all. Not. It's all Ryan Gates's fault. Feel free to tweet at him. Once what's your again, handle? what's your handle? Uh, at corporate underscore Gates. Damn straight. Feel free to tweet your ire at him directly. At corporate underscore Gates. <laughs> Listen, we all know why we lost that game. It just, it uh, didn't go our way. Things were not designed to go our way that game. I would say I would argue. I almost had it written down here that I was going to try to argue the Teron Johnson pick six with the Josh Allen Kobe touchdown because that's just absurd. No one should ever be able to be like, hey, this is a design quarterback run. Fuck it. I'm going to take a – I'm going to take – he's going to take a step back jumper to the corner I of the end zone. love that play. And yeah, there's the nothing football. not to love about that play. Like, when he floats it, the ball is butterflying through the air. It's not even a throw like he tried to put a spiral on it. He literally just shot it like he was throwing it into a bucket and went, Kobe! And there was luckily Dawson Knox, whose hands weren't coated in Teflon this time, and he came down with it. My favorite part about that play was as soon as Josh Allen tucked it to run, my I was screaming at the TV, 
Tebow jump throw, Tebow jump throw, <laughs> Tebow jump throw. I was literally screaming at the TV to do a Tebow jump throw, and then he did it, and I was like, oh, huh. <laughs> that's awesome. That's like, amazing. That it awesome. actually it happened. What I wanted. So can I, can I make I a last-minute nomination for a play that would have been the play everybody remembered had sure. The Stephon Diggs touchdown in, 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 in Arizona. Yeah. Yep. That would have been a play that we talked about for the rest of the year. Yeah, for sure. Had it not been overshadowed by the Midget Miracle. Mm. <laughs> Rookie of the year. I think if you keep love, saying it. I still love the Midget Miracle. I, yeah. I, I, make I, the I, Midget Miracle great. I, just, <laughs> no, no, just, just great. make it great. Just yeah, great. Just great. Make it great. Rookie of the year. Who do you got? Gabe Davis. I thought you would have gone uh, Isaiah Hodgins. Yeah, I mean... Is there a choice outside of Gabe Davis for Tyler Bass? No, T Bass. So, so you guys, you guys, you guys are Gabe Davis stands, and I understand. Now, here's what I'll say: I get your inclination. Seven touchdowns as a rookie wide receiver. That's listen, Chris. That's balls. Yeah, balls right there. That is balls. Or you're gonna tell me? I love balls. Tyler Bass. When you look at the kicker position in a vacuum this year, okay. The worst week one kicker performance kind of vacuum is it? on record ever in a decade. At least. 19 total misses in just one game that didn't have a miss. There was a think about the veteran kickers that got fired this season. Uh, Steven Hauschka. Steven Hauschka got hired and fired in two weeks by Jacksonville because he missed a bunch of kicks. And Bill's fans were mad that we let him go. And then he goes and you find out, oh, wait, we moved on to we moved on at the right time because he had nothing left. You Randy Bullock. How about this? There's a few more guys who sh- should have been fired that didn't. That Randy didn't Bullock get fired. Joe Burrow should have in week one had his first NFL win. And instead, Randy Bullock botched like a 34 yard field goal. Chris, we were watching that game. And I remember looking at you and going, look at Burrow's face. This is his his welcome to the NFL moment where he's like, well, wait a minute. I I was the best. I, I played the best game. I put us in a position to win. Why aren't we winning? Oh, because a kicker sucks. What? No, that I doesn't mean, happen. I think there's definitely an argument to be made there. For T-Bass? Yeah. Da- especially da- after the first. Like, people were writing that poor bastard off after the first few oh. games. And then he just was nothing but money. For the rest of the season, Dude. after the, like, I have never seen a Bills kicker. Do you want to know just how money? 50, 51, 56, and one half. Do you want to know just how money? Because I have all I've the, got one, by the way. I have all the fucking numbers. 96% for the season after week four? I don't know. I'm just making this off off the so, top well, of my head. So underscoring just how difficult being an NFL kicker is for veterans, right? It was a rough year for veterans. I mean, what was the guy from uh, New England? Who went to Tennessee and then got Guskowski. cut? Guskowski. Guskowski got oh, cut Rod from Barones. New England. They took his shoe, and there was a R. tweet. R. There was a tweet that went viral. He's dead. Where Steve's actually died. Rob Baronis is dead. Rob Baronis died is in a car dead. accident. Yeah, right. Gostowski, three years ago. Guskowski. Rob Baronis. Hey, let's pour one out for the old boy. <laughs> hey, up top. Cheers. So we're sitting there, and we're <laughs> watching Twitter, and there's a tweet that goes out about. Gostowski on the sideline with no shoe on and someone goes they probably did that just so he couldn't kick anymore because he'd already missed two field goals in the game and it's like oh god they're just piling on this poor bastard it was a rough year think about it the the Ravens 
Justin, Justin Tucker, Tucker is the gold standard, in my opinion. Of kickers. Of kickers. Period. Best all time. He misses a pair of field goals to doom his team in a must-win playoff game. It's a hard job being an NFL kicker. See, here, here's... I will tell you... Tyler, what, hey, well, Tyler Bass. Sixth in the NFL for longest kick of the season. What, 56 yards? Yes. Tied for seventh in the NFL for 50 or 50 plus yard field goals made. He had the same make percentage from 50 as Brandon McManus. 66%. I think we all agree. McManus, is, McManus is, good. is fucking he's good. He's a man. He's, he's a got, He's got man in his last name. He <laughs> only had four misses inside of 50. And he was at his best when the Bills needed him most. 100% had that nice little little draw to his balls too. When you look at the games that we won by 3 points or less, he was 100% on PATs. He made 6 of 7 against the Jets in a game where we won by 8 but scored no touchdowns. Yep. Against Arizona, he broke the NFL record for 50-yard field goals made in a single half. Yep. In a game that was decided by 2 points. And in bad weather, people were like, oh, well, he's a small guy. I don't know how he's going to... He missed three field goals from November 1st to January 24th. I will, t- I will tell you it was completely due to the fact that he only had one eye. eye the one eye blast. It was the oh. one eye. But the other thing I will tell you was that this year for my fantasy football league, the way that we determined our draft order was going to a high school football field and kicking field goals. And I was able to kick a 42-yard field goal and decided that I no longer respect NFL kickers. <laughs> <laughs> Tyler Bass would whip your ass. You know oh, that. my God. After after watching Tyler Bass listen, kick a 56-yard field goal, I'll tell you guys the very I was moment. very, very interested in talking about how I can never kick a 56-yard Gabe Davis will, is great, but Tyler Bass won us games. I will tell you the moment that I gained the utmost respect for kickers in the NFL came when I was at Good Bar, and I watched Corey Bohorquez on the dance floor belting out a Goo Goo Dolls song in short, cut-off jean shorts, mid-thigh, and a cut-off, tucked-in flannel. Most importantly, what Goo Goo Dolls? The song... I can't remember, but I just know that it was Goo Goo Dolls. That's I, I respect that specialist for the I mustache. Was, I hope it was slide mustache, cut off flannel, tucked into his cut off jeans that were cut off mid thigh. Don't reside into my room. <laughs> <laughs> Most improved player not named Josh Allen. Yeah, that one gives you a little pause. Huh? You can't pick Josh Allen because it's low hanging fruit. That's bullshit. Most improved player. Daryl Williams. That's fair. I like that. Daryl Williams handled T.J. Watt to the point where T.J. Watt got angry, almost threw a punch, and then saw better of it. It was great. Yeah. Is it like sacrilege if I say A.J. Klein? Like from where he started? Yeah, in one year. He was the most player player from the beginning of the season to when he stopped playing because Matt Milano was the original rules of the game. He would have had to be here last year, but I'll tell you what. I'll give that because I hated his guts. Chris Seahawks game was when I was like, oh my God, AJ Klein, he is making plays. That's it. Okay, so one of my buddies at work. His his brothers got together because he hated AJ Klein so much early in the I season hated and Klein. got him a jersey from China of AJ Klein as a oh, gift for yeah. Christmas. He was awesome. wearing it during the playoffs. Awesome, right? Chris remembers I compared AJ Klein in the Dolphins game to Chris 
having just thrown out his back. Chris with the thrown out back with a butterfly net, I'd trust him more in coverage. I was on I the honestly fuck AJ still don't blame you. And by the end of the season, though, I was like, okay, I trust this guy. He's earned a certain level of trust. But my guy's Cole Beasley. Here's why. Age 31 wide receivers, they typically slowed down. Age 31 right? is old. old. Just in but general. not when you're a rapper. Not when you're a rapper. <laughs> Not when you're laying down sick tracks like Jesus Cole Beasley is laying down sick oh, tracks. I thought, I thought maybe you were referring to your up-and-coming rap career, which would be way, way more impressive than Cole Beasley. So, with our new look Josh Allen, a little bit of upgrades around the offense, Beasley was way more impressive than last year. Because here's the thing. Improved his first-down reception number by 16. I mean, he went from 37 first downs to 53, where John Brown paced the offense for first down receptions last year. If if he didn't miss the final game, he would have had 1,000 yards. He improved his yards before the catch by a full yard and a half, which tells you he's no longer catching it in front of linebackers. He's now catching it behind them. Mm, that's a good point. Okay. Did all of that on the same number of targets. 106 targets in 2019, 107 in 2020. But his numbers were better across the board. And then 17th in average separation among tight ends and wide receivers who all qualified for stats. That coming from next-gen stats because I'm not smart enough to compile that stuff. But he had the most receptions out of anybody in that group by a just absurd margin. I mean, he had 82, and the next closest was Robert Tanyan with 52, a tight end for the Green Bay Packers. Cole Beasley was the thing that kind of you'd go into games and you'd go, well, we got to take away John Brown. They're going to take away Stephon Diggs and then Cole Beasley. I think about this San Francisco game. He's he had 104 yards in the first half because their team said, hey, we're going to play uh, kind of man on the outside. We're going to leave a small zone in the middle. And Cole Beasley set the record that night for re- for receiving yards for a player under five foot nine. I think I think when you look at it too is it's just okay. So you you go into a game against the Bills, and especially with a lot of these games, John Brown immediately being out of the games or being injured, so he wasn't really a factor. He was the guy that Josh Allen could look to when I think it's it was really the first time in, in Josh Allen's career where he was willing to not just push the ball and look yeah. for the big play because he knew that he had Cole Beasley wide open underneath so much that he was like, okay, where's that first read? If I don't have it, like I'm going to look for Cole Beasley because he knows that Cole Beasley is going to be open. So I think... Like Cole Beasley was obviously a huge part of this offense, and if anyone who I think who has that is is insane. I think the teams that successfully were able to take away Cole Beasley were the games that the Bills played their worst offensive games. And I think yep, look at the Ravens; they they decided their best man corner wasn't going to line up over Stephon Diggs; that they were going to line up and cover Cole Beasley. I also think Cole Beasley's injury at the end of the year really yes. caused the, the offense to sputter in the playoffs. Broken leg, literal Dude, broken leg. He's Joe Thornton. You want to talk? You want to talk about the difference that we talk? I can't get out of bed after I, you know, after I hit some golf balls at the driving range, and that guy's playing on a broken leg. We talked about it last week. The difference. This team, and if you want to put that feather in McDermott's cap, (laughs) this team is now able to say, like, when they say things like, "Oh, come to Buffalo, you'll be the best version of yourself." 
Beasley was a guy that I was on a cruise ship getting yelled at by Cowboys fans because they're like, good luck with this guy. He's a me guy. He's a me guy. And he even admitted as much that he early on in his career cared about stats and whatever. And then this season, he said, I don't care about any of that. And he said it early on. And then later you find out he's willing to go to war with a broken leg. It speaks to the job McDermott's done cultivating these guys into the culture of what he thinks winning is. I, I love the story of that offseason where they did not ta- tell John Brown that they were signing Cole Beasley, and they did not tell Cole Beasley that they were signing John Brown, and then they signed him at the same time. Yeah. Because they were like, we need both of these guys in order for this offense to be successful, and we don't want either of them to come in and think that they're not going to be the guy. Yeah. And they both came in and... We're kind of the guy. We're kind of the guy. And then the following year, they brought in Stefan Diggs, who was the... undeniably the guy. Outside of Peerless Price, find me a better, oh, a better player. Oh, Jesus did you just invoke the name Peerless Price on my you're podcast? Lucky, you're lucky that I I'll didn't drop Roswell Parrish for the second time. I'll set fire <laughs> to my own home right now just to just to exercise the demons you just brought in here. Don't do that. Season wait, MVP. Wait, Are we all on, in agreement that it's Josh Allen? Yes. yes. I mean, yep. sixth in yards, fourth in completion percentage after ranking 32nd the previous year, fifth in touchdowns, 24th in yards after the catch. I like that stat because what it says is that his wide receivers didn't make plays in space. He His yardage wasn't manufactured after the fact. He literally obtained most of his yards. The By 4, throwing 000, the football. 4,544 yards just on the merit of his arm talent and accuracy. That's incredible. It's the most, I think, dramatic improvement in NFL history. And That's fair. Certainly the best one we've seen since uh, Jim Kelly. A quarterback. The best improvement? Best performance. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And we don't win a majority of these games, given the way our defense took its sweet-ass time. (laughs) We don't win those early games where, hey, the Dolphins, hey, the Dolphins take the lead in the fourth quarter with five minutes, and you go, it's cool. We're going to score. And Especially against the Dolphins. Player you project is next season's most improved player. Epinesa, just to spite oh, you. A good one. Just to spite good you. One. I hate your guts, Chris. Epinesa. You guys go. I'm, I'm going to think about this one. I hope all the bad things in life happen to you and nobody else, Chris. Uh, I'm going to go with Cody Ford. Uh, wow. I think he's he's going to come off of a season of injury. and there, an ass. There, <laughs> there's going to be a place for him on this offensive line. Like There is more than likely going to be a place for him on this offensive line. And I think it's unfortunate, to be completely honest, but I do ultimately think that they are going to make a move where Mitch Morris, John Feliciano, or Darrell Williams aren't a part of the starting lineup next year. That's I, I could see Feliciano being the expendable one here. because here's There's the going to be one of those Mitch three Morris, guys that are Mitch not Mitch Morris here. is the dude that you, I mean, Baldy's breakdowns, you watch him. Morris is a warrior there in the trenches. I love Morris. I mean, honestly, if I'm I'm if picking can, if one out extend, of those three, the, if you like, can extend, I gotta, if you can extend and then restructure, now that guy gets interesting. I'd rather have a Morse if you can extend and restructure than I want a Feliciano trying yeah, I would, to do I, I, I agree with you on Morse. I want them to keep Morse. Yes. Restructure Morse, extend him a year, get an extra year out of him. Yes. And I, I think like that's that's 100% the route because – 
frankly, I, I, I think there's, there's, you probably need to bring Feliciano and Morse back. Fine, but I agree with that. I, I, and I think only because Feliciano is the only guy that you feel like can play both positions. If Morse gets hurt, you know that you could put Feliciano in there. You have Alec Butker, who I think you're going to re-sign as an RFA. That means you probably aren't re-signing the right tackle. Does that mean you're going to draft one? Maybe that means that's what you'll do. Maybe you'll go out and find a free agent. I don't know. But like for me, the breakout candidate for next year, you ready? Ed Oliver. The reason I say at Oliver is because I think he had a pretty good but not impactful enough season. I think he did things that Star Latulale did, but now that he – I think he played too much one technique. And I think they're too small when he plays one technique. Oh, yeah, no. And they literally said when they drafted him, now he finally gets to play the three technique. And then in year two, he spends most of his time as the team's primary one tech. I just – like he needs – I think Star coming back allows him to slot in in their base defense in the three tech position. I also think that means you see less of. And by the way, talking about cap space, either Jefferson or Butler are gone, and the other one's going to get restructured. And I think more than likely Butler's gone because they have so many defensive tackles. Jefferson is a guy that you can slide in and out. So um, that all over for me. And I think it's mostly all of because of Star Latulay coming back, <laughs> or low to Lele, depending on yeah, low to Lele, please. Yeah. I've got two Please. names: Zach Moss and Gabe yeah. Davis. Zach Moss was very close. Here's well, here, I, I know Zach you don't. Moss. I know you don't like it, but here's what I like: is stinks. It, he was. Behind. Why does he stink? He's, he wasn't good. All right, cool. Okay, less well, than impressive. He got all the red zone carries. Well, well, and how'd that go for him? <laughs> what about well, Josh Allen's red zone carries? That those worked. Okay, yeah, his those broken worked. tackle rate is twice. Yeah, who What's fucking cares? How many? Like he just he did nothing he does in the field. Looks impressive to me. Okay. Other than the fact that he can run me over, like yeah, like now, good Chris, for you. you can run my ass over. Though, now, Chris, you you've lost Thanks, some weight. That's true. He wouldn't he wouldn't have knocked over two fifteen me. Now, you stopped putting on the wait, weight. You I was were, mass. You were two fifteen. I was like two eighteen. I'm two oh like three right now. I'm now now I'm one eighty. No, I weigh one eighty. Gates, you're in the two hundred five plus club. No, I'm like right at 205. Yeah, he's got he's got. Look at those tits. Each of those tits weighs like 25, dude. Yeah, dude, these are nice. I do not. I do not put any work. Into we're in these. the we're in the presence of guys who have been obese, and somehow I weigh less than them. This is a great. No, no I weigh 180 now, buddy. So come on, yeah, you well, are yeah. fucking skinny. Put some skinny. Skinny. Eat a goddamn bagel, you bitch. I, I just actually got my uh, my jean size down to 32. Oh, I, oh, I wear 32 God, jeans. Boo. Wait, you wear 32 jeans? I wear 32 oh, jeans for dis- being a fat boy. No, it's because literally it's in his tits. Chris, it's I literally it's literally t- from my fat right, stomach. This, this, oh, my God. He's slapping his belly. Go, folks, the gut for a guy who wears 32, he has the belly of a so man. I'm saying it, all of his weight is in his back and is in <laughs> the triceps. Inc- this is incredible. In the tits. I've never seen it. This podcast has come off the rails. Zach Moss, in my opinion, <laughs> here's what it is. You retool the offensive line. Barring, barring a, a significant investment at the position ahead of him, I mean, it sounds like being based on his comments, this in his post. Although, hey, the same Brandon Bean who called TJ Yeldon a three down back. Hey, yeah, I mean, he is. So, with that said, he talked about it. I mean, Zach Moss was more impressive to me than Singletary. So, if we're going to keep one of these guys, Moss is the guy who's going to get the biggest chance to shine unless we make a splash at the position. Gabe Davis is the other one, and that's just existing skill set and volume. I mean, John Brown's gone. John Brown is not going to make this roster next year. 
So when we make that move, he by default is going to see a larger role in this offense. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to slot into the boundary. Look at this. Josh Allen's mic'd up right now as we're talking about this on NFL Network. They're not going to move him to the boundary unless they have to because that didn't work for him. He was bad at it when he had to do it. But when he was allowed to go against slot corners and linebackers, he ate them alive this season. He is wide receiver number four. Four. He might slot into number three, but I mean, if he has another year in an NFL program and another year with Allen, with his size and his catch radius and his understanding of where the sidelines are, I think that's the middle of the field. So I know that didn't go well for him this year being on the boundary, but his awareness of the sideline and how to catch the ball along the sideline when he had those opportunities. Gaby? Yeah, he... He should be able to put that skill set together to be a boundary receiver. And that's I it. know he likes to be called Gabriel, but I like Gaby better. That's like when that's like when Robert Woods did not like to be called Bob, and which is dumb. Which or is like dumb. when Tyrod left and was like, "Yeah, it's actually Tyrod," even though my dad calls me Tyrod. <laughs> final thought. Nate, that, no, that was my final thought. No, no. Nate, <laughs> was this season a watershed moment? Was this the moment that we break through as a franchise that? First real change, or is this something we should be worried about backsliding from? Uh, ask me at the end of next year. <laughs> sure. I think, um, I think it depends a lot on what happens around. I mean, listen, growth. I, so, I'll be the first one to say it. Growth is not linear. It's not. I mean, there's teams who kind of make headway. And then pound their chest talking about dynasty. Look how good we are. Ba, 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 ba. The 2017 Eagles. Hey, look at We won the Super Bowl. We're going to be good forever. Now their head coach is fired. Carson Wentz is going to get traded. The salary <laughs> cap, I think, is interesting this year. The salary cap's really interesting. It, it going down to 175 with the idea that it's going to go back up. Like, I, I just saw a tweet from Marcel Louis Jacques ESPN, right? He said, like, that, you know, he was just looking at the Bills roster. He's like, I, Brandon Bean's going to do some wizardry or create some space. And I'm like, I mean, yeah. I mean, look what Les Needs doing. I mean, this he wants the space. Every find a space. single team, essentially, besides the ones that have, there's like ten teams plus million in cap space. They're going to have to perform some wizardry. They're going to have to perform wizardry. And for the Bills, like it's not that much restructure, cut some players, and so, if you're going to sign free agents, make all the money backloaded so that you have high, you know, high yearly salaries in their second, third, or fourth year when the, you know the salary cap's going to go back up, and you can easily get out of those contracts, you know, by the third or fourth year. So, yeah, like I, a lot of it has to do with this offseason. How many guys can the Bills retain? Can you retain, and do you want to retain Matt Milano? I think the best case scenario for both Matt Milano and the Bills is that Matt Milano de- determines he goes in the market and he's not getting. The 13 and the $14 million number he was looking for. And instead, he's getting a, a bunch of short-term or bridge two- to three-year, $9 million deals. And he says, fuck this. I'm just going to go back to Buffalo for a year, sign for $8 million bucks, and try, my case again when try to get to be 15 next offseason when there's a higher salary cap and teams are more have a propensity to, to sign more long-term deals. The Colts, the Jets, the Jaguars... Like, those teams are going to overpay, but there's not going to be the guys that get overpaid. Like, the Mario Addisons aren't getting three years, 30 million this year. No. Shaq Lawson's aren't getting not. three years, 30 million. And tell me 
how much difference, and this is not a slight, because I think Shaq Lawson's a good player, but this isn't a slight of Matt Milano, but they're kind of like a similar type player. Uh, I would say Matt Milano's a mid-level, mid to above average level at his position, and that, for the most part, is a player that is always overpaid. Like, always overpaid. And, and any other year, Matt Milano's probably getting 15, 14 or 15. And this year, I think he's going to struggle to get to double digits. Look at Jordan Phillips last yeah. year. Like, what was the contract that Jordan Phillips got to the production that he had this year? No, like, right. not even – like, he's going to be Lawson. a guy that's going to get cut. Yes. Like, because the team that he's on is not going to be able to afford him. And at, the, at the production that he's getting. So, so I think, I think Milano is going to free agency because – I think so, too, I, but I, I think he'll end up signing back in a one-year deal. That's my that's my. But I, well, I watched Bean's presser. He said the same thing. With Jordan Phillips last year, he said he's earned the right to go to free agency. I think there will be a team that pays Matt Milano just based on the type of linebacker that he is and the way that the the league is gone. Like there will be a team that that pays him oh, the athleticism. Sure. That's going to be a team that. But, but that, that doesn't that. change where we are as a franchise. No, I mean, absolutely. Like, we as a franchise are still on the come up. It's just a question of can we maintain it? And I mean, so, I guess I, so that my final question: What's the facet of this team in the offseason that you're you're the most interested about? What do they add on offense? What do they add on offense to make this team even more lethal on offense? Because quite honestly. I could give a shit if your defense is the 32nd ranked defense in the league. If you have an offense where you go out on every single drive and you're a threat to score a touchdown on every single drive, Look at the Chiefs. you are going to win championships. Statistically, the Chiefs are not great. And yet, look, look, at, that, look at the Raiders game. The Ra- them versus the Raiders in Las Vegas is the perfect example of the team you need to be now to make the Super Bowl. Where you're the team where, hey, yeah, you scored on us every time you went down the field. Or the score one, more. But the one time you kicked a field goal, it fucked you. Yep. And now, we're, not only do we score on the ensuing drive, but now we're in the driver's seat. We die off the pass rush. That's the end of you. And the game unravels from there. That's it. In the fourth quarter, you lose a game simply because you kicked a field goal. That's who you want to be in today's yep. NFL. And so with that in mind, I it's going to be interesting to see how they augment this offensive attack. Nate? That's, yeah, I, you know, I, I think I mentioned it earlier. Like, what do you do? Do you try to build, put some pieces on defense to force two or three more punts in a game? Because that's, like, literally what your your goal is. It's not to, like, stop hold, stop them. It's how many more punts. Can you get two more punts out of them? And it could that be the difference in the game? Um like for me, it probably goes to, you know, like some of the personnel decisions. Cornerback to, I think they really need to get a guy that they can put on an island, and whether that's them drafting some guy in the first round. Um, the other thing too is, you know, we we briefly talked about it, and I kind of threw out a take, but like I'd like to see them trade their first round pick. I'm on trade. I'd like to I'm see them when you when you say trade their first round pick for for a player like yeah. they did this past like season. a digs like trade. In a year at thirty, the guys that are twenty that are seventeen to forty are going to be really tough to differentiate this year on just how good the difference is between seventeen and forty. Like that, that's going to be the hardest part of the draft. So for me, 
don't put yourself in a position where you are forced to take the best player available. The best player available is a running back, and then everyone's mad. So instead, go like I just tweeted out like a name that I'd be really interested in. Bill's going to look at is Preston Smith of the Green Bay Packers. He's going to be a guy two years left in his contract. You can get in here. You can probably restructure his deal, get his cap hit down, and you'd have a legitimate edge rusher at 28 years old with some term left. Like that would be a guy I'd like them to go see, go see them get. Um, that's just one example, but like I'd like to see them trade their first round pick. I'd like to see them trade their first there's and a, second round pick. There's a million ways this team could go, but ultimately, I, me personally, what I want to see them do is fortify that offensive line. I want to see them invest. Maybe so, even if they trade the first round pick. The second, third, fourth rounds, that's where you find guards. That's where you find... Because I mean, how many guards get drafted in the first round? Not many, right? Uh, guards that expect Quentin Nelson tackles. Quentin Williams. Quentin Nelson, who's about to set the market, and he's the reason we can't sign Feliciano. Because the market's going to get reset by Quentin Nelson. Yeah, but Feliciano's not going to be in that. I, no. Feliciano's going to get more like a Quentin Spain contract. But even then, that's too much. I don't. I don't like, care for. I'd rather. Quinn Spain was. Listen, Quinn Spain like, was a thirty. I feel like John Feliciano is worth the Quinn Spain. Contract yeah, I mean, Quinn Spain is a thirty-second ranked guard. I want to see how they Maybe address. Will fight someone. How they address the offensive line in the ground game in the draft? Because my guess is they're probably not going to address. I know I've already seen people mocking because. People are already doing mock drafts, which is stupid to me. People start doing mock drafts. All right, drafts well, then let's the talk about hand size. But no, my God, I'll, I'll jump across this six foot table and kill you right now where you stand. So, you talk about this, people are already talking about Najee Harris and ETN, some of the best running backs in football to Buffalo with the first pick. No, 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 no. That first pick has more value than that one running back can bring you. So what you do is you fix the offensive line and you find out whether or not the two guys you have have value. And then you draft another guy like, hey, listen, Elvin Kamara was a fourth, fifth round pick. So He's a second round He's a second third round, round third. pick. Third round third. pick. Third round third. pick. Okay. So you could... <laughs> oh, I love how Gates just schooled Geary. You, you can find these guys. The Again, like it's we've definitely. been looking for running backs. You fix your offensive line, because Cover 1 has done a lot of research to show that the running backs weren't the problem. I want to see how they address I want to see how they address that facet of our offense, because I think we score more points with that. And Nate, I hope you shave that mustache. I swear to God, the Bills will be more productive when you that leaves your face. I heard buddy, that the Bills were on, way more productive when buddy, the mustache was on the face. Uh, this was this was built after the Midget Miracle. Three so, times. I dropped it three times. Midget Miracle. Four. So what happens now? Like, you've got no reason to keep that mustache, so... So do you shave and cut your hair? No, I recently tweeted out that there had been a lot of rumors, and I'm, I'm sticking with the stash for another year. I think it's... I'm not fucking leaving! I'm not fucking leaving! I'm not fucking leaving! <laughs> That's, that's my mustache. Yeah. It ain't going nowhere. Folks, you heard it here first in the Rock Pile Report. This has been a great night, but we got to get the fuck out of here. We've annoyed you all enough. Yeah, I'm Drew fun. Gear. That's Ryan Gates. Ryan, where can they find you on Twitter? Uh, at Corporate Gates. Oh, wait. At, at Corporate underscore Gates. I never tweet. You can find his You can find his Twitch uh, where he just watches porn and does play-by-play. <laughs> You're not looking at much either. Yeah. Nate? 
Nate, uh, where can people find you? So not Nate Geary WGR. That's a fake parody account of mine, which you should block and report immediately. But it's Nate no, Geary Sports. No, you should Sports. support it. No, you, you should, should support, support uh, that. At Nate Geary WGR, please support. <laughs> not the one with the verified Twitter mark. Not yet, but it's coming. Uh, but at Nate Geary Sports. And then, uh, on, uh, you know, I have my writing pieces up at WGR550.com. You can check out. We're on the radio on Saturdays, Sports Talk Saturday. You should invite me back. When, when yeah. am I going to be invited back? Maybe am I allowed in the studio? It's a good question. I don't think I am. It's a good question. <laughs> I'll ask the boss, but probably uh, not. I, I'm pretty sure I got asked to be back on, and they told me, don't. Yeah, like, no. show up. You should be yeah, an in-studio guest for a Sports Talk Saturday. I feel and, like I should just and, be a host. No, for, well, I think it should just be the Geary and Gage You know what, you know what we're going to do one time? I'm just going to say... I'm just going to have you cover a shift for me. And say nothing. And say nothing. Well, not that I... Yeah, say and nothing. Then and then you're going to give me your key fob. Yes. And I'm going to get back in. Yeah. Because yeah. I'm probably pretty sure my code into the building probably still works. Still I use works. it. What it- you use my key code? <laughs> you still use my code? Yeah. What you should have, Nate... <laughs> is- oh, that's what we're learning here tonight. Is that Intercom does not have a handle on yeah. this. Nate, you should have him in studio... On a Saturday, and because it's COVID, you got to wear a mask. So Gates, you have to wear uh, the Gimp mask yeah, from Pulp Fiction. <laughs> Folks, on that note, we're going to end this podcast. I'm Drew Gear. That's Chris Krueger. That's Ryan Gates and Nate Gary. And this has been your 2020 Buffalo Bills season on the Rock Pile Report. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.